to pay the iron price. I must to pay the iron price. I'll never respect you while he lives in. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain a hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Valar, to Harris, all men must serve. See, as a raven flies, and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must Hello and welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television, brought to you by BaldMove.com. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we're here to wrap up season four like a burrito. Yeah, we are. Ship it out the door, have you eat it, and hopefully not shit your pants as a direct result. We'll see how it goes. Jim, first of all, let's talk about... We kind of shied away from this last last episode. Okay. What's your thoughts on season four overall? I just shit it... my pants. Oh, damn it. <laughs> well, it's, it was a, was a good shit your pants or was it a bad shit your pants? Uh, it was a good shit your pants. A really good shit in my pants because season four might have been my favorite season. It was just... It was gonzo. It was balls to the wall uh, action the entire time. Yeah. I think, as both a book reader and as a fan of the show, that season four is a clear favorite. It's not okay. like it doesn't tower over to competition, and it doesn't have the best moments of the series. It in my might opinion. not have the individual best moments, yeah. but there's so many iconic moments that hit you one after another, and the pacing, yeah, is so good uh, that you know quibbles here and there for some of the latter half of the season. The first. The first part up through, <laughs> you know, up through uh, the mountain and the viper is a freight train of a season. Yeah, I was reading through some of the synopsis of older episodes uh, from the season, and I couldn't believe how fast it got started. I mean, Joffrey was dead in episode two. Right. This season, <laughs> the Hound and Arya had the epic fight in the inn. I think in the first episode. Uh huh. I mean, just ludicrous levels of action and revelations, and it just seems like every other episode we got something epic or cool or important, or sometimes all three. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where would you rank this amongst the other seasons? I put it right at the top. Okay. How would the other seasons then rank? Uh, one, three, two, maybe? One, three, two? Four, one, three, two? Hmm. I think I'm a four, three, one, two. Four, three, one, two. Why? Why do you like three so much? Uh, it had the build up to the red wedding. I feel like that's that true. Yeah, it was a little bit better pace. I think that there's a clear, there's a clear upgrade in the show's overall look uh, between season okay. one and season three. Hmm. Season two had the upgraded look, but I think season two is the weak sister. Yeah, yeah. Which and that's that's damning <laughs> it with fa- with a harsh praise actually because. Uh-huh. Really, the only thing I didn't like about it was Danny's plotline. Hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. And similarly, season three, even though I think it was necessary medicine that we take, the uh, Theon stuff was not much fun to have to sit through. Very true, yeah. And it was built to conventional. You know, you had the Danny sacking of, uh, shit, what was that, Yunkai? Mm-hmm. Or Astapor, one to two. That was pretty epic. But then there wasn't as many just, like, balls-to-wall, holy shit moments until you got to the Red Wedding, which is one of the ultimates. Yeah, and unfortunately, I had that majorly spoiled for me. I think that's... So that took away from my enjoyment. Maybe that was one of the other things I enjoyed about Season 4, the fact that there always, as a book reader, felt to me 
Like they, it's kind of like riding the beast at Kings Island. This old thirty-five-year-old wooden roller coaster that goes seventy miles an hour, and you're thinking this is going to be the one where it just flies off into the forest. <laughs> yep. And you're kind of white knuckled. I mean, the scene where we went to the land of always winter and saw the ceremony that turns a, mm-hmm. a human baby into a white walker. Holy shit! Something I didn't, I wasn't even on my radar to see. Yeah. And there's just constant moments like that where I'm just kind of like, oh my god, are they going to? zig and and juke where they should have zagged and not juked i don't i don't know and then and i feel like i'm right there at the end of the season and next season is wide open full of possibilities while still staying true to the source material i found it very exciting yeah from what you said season four was easily the most the most departed this show has ever been from the book right yeah and i was talking to some fans on email and they speculated that because hbo renewed or you basically bought this in a batch mm-hmm. that maybe that gave Benioff and Weiss the courage and the freedom to like, we're going to do that. We're going to count on having another season and we're not going to worry about getting this all, you know, lined up perfectly. And we're, we're not afraid to kind of rock the boat with book readers because we've got this, we got next season, no matter what happens. Turns sure. out the show's even more wildly popular than it ever was. <laughs> It and, doubles in size every season. I was going to say, really, if they piss off the book readers, are they going to stop watching? Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's kind of like what we talked about Walking Dead. The book readers, believe it yeah. or not, a tiny population of the total fan base. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, uh, I I really enjoy it. I know a lot of a lot of book readers are kind of up in arms now. It'll be interesting to see uh what they say next season especially the what's really interesting in my mind is if george martin doesn't get the winds of winter out before next spring <laughs> it's going to be panda fucking monium uh-huh because they're so far through some of these plot lines like particularly bran and sansa hmm. they don't really have any book material left maybe a little bit for bran interesting that's crazy with sansa because she just seems to be becoming a real character now. Indeed. So even in the book, she's not that well fleshed out yet. And I mean, uh, they, the way they leave her is just about the way we leave her in the books. And wow. so if he doesn't get the Winds of Winter out, he's going to be forcing the showrunners to, unless we just move away from those plots for a season, which I don't for a minute believe. Yeah, I mean, you, gonna have to you start move away from, from Bran for a season, and now you're he's got a beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now right. six foot four. Sure. <laughs> it's it's bad news. I think that's where, you know, I I feel like that a, a lot of people that are hanging the hopes on. Well, maybe they'll do a prequel season, or maybe that's what they forget. They're just they don't have time to stop. They're already losing time with these young actors. Absolutely, it's kind of becoming a farce with some of them anyway. Uh huh. They're incredibly lucky that Maisie Williams <laughs> is is you know her face must go into hyperbolic chamber. <laughs> On the off season, <laughs> our hyperbaric chamber because it's she's uh-huh. she's not aging. She uh, just <laughs> yeah. Sophie Turner the same way. Uh, didn't get lucky with Isaac Hemstead Wright or whatever his name is, but yeah, who they is could, that? He's the brand. And oh, then okay. Rickon, yeah, yeah. they could fucking recast Rickon by the next time we see him. Sure, I don't even know what he looks like. Yeah, you couldn't pick him out. I no, they could cast. If I told you that Rickon was secretly <laughs> the village boy that shot Egret, you'd probably believe it. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, that's actually oh, a big hinge moment in Dance of Dragons. You find out he actually was Rickon. I he just had no idea. Smashing walnuts in the background, you never knew. 
Uh, so that's how we felt about the season overall. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get into the differences between books and shows section? This um, is something I are, are do we every going, year. Are we going straight from that to feedback. our feedback? Okay, then I want to talk about a couple of things, like with the way that season four was left. Okay. Um, we've seen Arya really grow a lot. And grow might be the wrong word. She has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if growth is what it is, because now she wants to kill all these people, and she can actually do it, uh, or it seems like she can. She's become a lot tougher under the Hound's tutelage. Uh, that's kind of an interesting development, and I... I'm really curious to see where her character goes. I think it's she's just going to be an awesome killing machine, mm-hmm. which I'm totally cool with. Bring on awesome killing Arya. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that I don't... My morality doesn't get its yeah. knickers in a twist seeing a 13-year-old girl killing people. Sure. Um, what's that Bobcat, Bobcat Goldwaith movie? Uh, about, Red State? Is it, was it Red I think State? It's Red I think State, that's yeah. Kevin Smith made one but he made one about a guy that snaps after he watches like american idol and yeah yeah 16 and pregnant and he goes on a killing spree with another little girl uh thought that yeah. movie was hilarious so that's that's kind of where i'm coming from okay uh the other big thing that is kind of left up in the air is what is the status of the lannister empire here i mean tywin's dead and he... by extension all of westeros absolutely yeah uh king's landing that that stuff in particular it looked like you know tywin is having money troubles he's setting up this relationship with the tyrells um cersei doesn't want that relationship i guess through tommen and marjorie that's going to kind of be continued because they really need the money from the tyrells to pay off their debt that's the reason they're kind of still in bed with them but there's no way cersei is going to marry loris now i mean she's basically in power at the moment and i she doesn't only, seem yeah. to want that. The only thing that was going to make her marry him was Ty- Tywin. Yeah. And Tywin's dead now. Why would she? Presumably. Maybe the bells <laughs> are ringing because everyone is ha- so happy he survived an apparent assassination oh, attempt. Yeah, yeah. I'm you sure. don't know. I'm sure. No, you're probably right. <laughs> um, so, the, so big thing yeah. left up in the air there. What's the status of King's Landing and the Lannister Empire, period? And this undoubtedly weakens all of Westeros, mm-hmm. removing a competent, powerful, cunning ruler yeah. and substituting Cersei. <laughs> I hope that's not a big, a, a too much of a spot <laughs> to say there's a, there's a little bit of a power vacuum here. Yeah. Um, and by the way, winter is still coming. That's the thing. Four seasons in, the true threat. Like We even found this, this year, the wildlings aren't the true threat. Not, they're, not totally. they're glorified refugees. The true threat has yet to make an appearance. And Westeros keeps getting weaker and weaker. Yeah. I mean, think about yeah. all those wheat fields on fire when we saw, like, you know, the devastation of the Riverlands and the breadbasket of Westeros. Mm. Yeah. And winter is fucking coming. It's coming. And I, I feel like there are two waves coming from the north. You've got Roose Bolton. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Roose Bolton is kind of in the north. Then you got Stannis, who's up north. And who knows what's going on with him and the 100,000 man. Craster, or not Craster, uh, Mance Raider Army. Sure. Do they join up and march south? Uh, that's kind of up in the air. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a huge threat to King's Landing as well. There, There's a lot of danger in this empire at the moment. Sure. In, this, in these seven kingdoms. And the other thing that I'm really curious about is to see how Danny progresses from here. Because I feel like her season has really been one of 
kind of a folly of errors. She just like continually did what she thought was going to make everything better, and it never worked quite how she expected. And it's only in hindsight, like at no time when she was doing these things were we as a viewer like, oh, big fucking yeah. mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a little bit about the staking of the masters, but still sure. I think as a viewer, you're like, no, nah, Grandpa Kingsguard is just too old and out of touch. We need some vengeance for these little girls that were nailed to the crosses. Uh-huh. Nailed to the road signs, rather. So, yeah, I it, I think it's kind of brilliant in she's the leader that we wanted to see and we're being forced to face the consequences of her actions, which are kind of our own. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, she has this visionary outlook on what she's going to do for these people, and it, it doesn't quite turn out how she expects. And I feel like that has... She's starting to learn those lessons. Yeah. I mean, it, it first took her advisors to tell her, hey, what you're doing here might not be right, because, look, I'm experienced, I've seen this shit before, you might be messing up. And then it turns out she kind of is messing up, it also kind of calls she in question it, her inner circle is an mm. aging knight who maybe is not the best barometer for morality. And also, do we have mm. any evidence that he's got a keen tactical mind? No. A guy who was so weak that he got into his wife and started selling slaves to finance her spending habits because uh, he couldn't get any control over his own household, huh. uh, who's exiled now. A... Uh, a pirate sellsword uh, maniac yeah and a nutless Unsullied. slave who's <laughs> yeah. been brainwashed and a young slave girl translator that's yeah. her inner circle is there anyone that can really write that ship i feel like she's going to have to do it herself and and barristan might you know kind of give her a foothold from which to do that because he does seem to be uh, a bit of a moral compass for her um, or not a moral compass. She has a very firm outlook on morality, certainly. certainly. Um, but he he kind of is trying to temper that with a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of forethought. You know. All right. So it'll be interesting. I I really want to see where she goes. Anything else? Uh, I think that's about it. I mean, I've, I've decided as I've talked to you, I'm going to restructure this podcast a little bit. There's <laughs> a few viewer takes that were like wrap ups of themselves. Oh, okay. And I know that there's some people that consider any discussion of book spoilers versus show spoilers to be to be spoilers or book differences between show differences to be mm. spoilers de facto and i want these people to enjoy as much podcast as they can before we kick them out okay uh so let's uh go a couple listener feedbacks that are kind of wrap-ups onto themselves rob m who is the big proponent to kill the week wants to know hey aaron how about a top five kill of the week slash season in the season wrap-up huh here's my list jim okay uh, I've got a clear number one, and then like a second tier, and then a third tier. And I kind of rated okay. these. Can we say how you're judging these things? Yes. I'm okay. rating them on both a spect- spectacular mm-hmm. scale and how important they were to the plot. Okay. I feel like that's fair. And the top one, because it pegs both meters, is Oberon. Yeah. Turns out that it <laughs> didn't, God. you know, the, there's so much, uh, if you didn't know what was coming, so much seemed to hinge on that skull smash. Yeah. And it was gruesome, and it was a character that we'd grown to love. Arguably a bigger blow than the Red Wedding, which because, hmm. you know, spoilers and whatnot, I think its effect is a little bit muted. Uh-huh. Uh, that's my clear number one. Any controversy there? I totally agree with that one. Number two, 
Tywin not Lannister. not for spectaculars, but just for sheer importance. Probably the most important death, Tywin Lannister. Okay, that's my number two as well. <laughs> and the fact that he's murdered by his own son that he felt superior to and had rejected and disowned. A lot of pathos there. Yeah. Uh, I think makes up for some of the spec- lack of the actual physical spectacularness. Yeah, and being totally deserving of it. Uh, number three. Actually... Number three, I'm going to adjust on the fly, Joffrey. Oh, you're stealing all of mine, man. That's literally uh, so my top one, three. All right, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I think the actual manner of his death was spectacular. The makeup and effects people really sold the awfulness of his death. Oh, God, yeah. And face. it did change the power dynamic and the balance of King's Landing. And, Completely. Yeah. And it was so satisfying. Probably the most satisfying <laughs> death from a fan perspective. I, I thought... Like, Viserys getting crowned in season one was good. Mm-hmm. But Joffrey getting brought down low was probably, again, the most satisfying death. Number three, or number four, Liza getting chucked out the old moon door. <laughs> I don't know if that'd be my number four. I don't think we agree on whether or not my number four is dead. Okay, what's your number four? The Hound. Mildly interesting. Okay. And I don't, <laughs> I don't have... Uh, smoking gun evidence for or against Sandor being alive. He seemed pretty pretty brutally wounded where he was, and he wanted to die. I feel like he's probably dead. So that's my number four, because it was an awesome battle with Brienne that led up to it. Uh, It's a pretty important thing for Arya. That'd be my number four. Why don't you talk about... Uh, my, my number four, Lysa, I just thought it was, you know, a lot of book readers lost their shit because instead of saying, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've only loved one woman, instead of saying only cat, he said your sister. Uh-huh. Other than that, it and, a couple other, same thing. and a couple other minor details, I thought that was pretty straight out of the book. I thought her getting chucked out the moon door was epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it happened right in front of Sansa, just seemed like the catalyst to turn Sansa into a quote-unquote interesting character, although we've got an excellent reader feedback on this. Uh, I, I I thought that's uh, very momentous and very well done. Number five, Polliver, who you'll recall is the shit that uh, kind of started the chicken fight in the bar, and Arya stabbed him through his neck with needle. That kind of uh, sent her on her more badass trajectory. Yeah, uh, it was the first, I believe, overt act of vengeance she directly took, and not through some other person like the Hound or she did stab a bunch of Frey soldiers, I guess. But this is the sure. first kind of name she knocked she notched off all by herself, mm-hmm. and uh, it was gruesome, and it made me cheer. So there's that. You have a different top five. That's a good one. I, fifth one. I, I think my fifth one. Uh, hmm. That's tough. I've got there some, were, I got some a good one. honorable mentions. You want me to go over that and see if any of them? I, I wish I, I wish I cared more about Egret because that would have been my number five. But I really Egret don't an, care. Egret got an honorable mention, and yes, I. So did Grin. How, so did how about Pitt. Carl? Carl the Fucking Legend did get an honorable mention. <laughs> that was pretty fucking cool. I mean, Jon Snow stabs him right through the mouth, True. Or, or not Jon Snow. The Jon Snow stabs him. And yeah. then the other girl he was saving yeah. stabs him right through his mouth. Gave him a steel tongue. Yeah, that was sweet. The Fukin legend of Jin Alley. Uh, champion of Marine. The guy who pissed in front of Danny and then got pissed on in return <laughs> by Dario Nyquilis. Uh-huh. The peasant prisoner that got bisected by the mountain, spilled his guts on the ground. How about S- Sam's friend? Uh, 
Pip and Grin. Pip yep. got and it through the neck. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I thought Steer the Magnar Thin, who was the big bald mute dude, or not? Oh mute guy, yeah, Cannibal. Yeah. Hammered. Got hammered. <laughs> got Fargoed. Mm-hmm. That was gruesome. Uh, anything I missed? Oh, the Giants Archery Target. They got shot clean <laughs> off the wall. I thought that, that was, was pretty badass. fucking badass too. Uh, yeah. So many deaths in this season. Oh yeah, Jojen. Jo- that's right. That Jojen stupid kid pasted. died. Uh, yeah. That I'm... didn't peg my give a shit needle is the problem, no, and it wasn't especially. Me I mean, they didn't show the next slit. Ha- they... Having having a ice skeleton cool. repeatedly gut you with a knife, <laughs> it would probably be pretty brutal to live through. Yeah, yeah. No, I I liked his death. I thought it was. Uh, when the skeleton just kept stabbing him over and over again, I was like, oof. Have you seen the Beautiful Yuck. Death series? No. There's this guy, and I don't know if Oh, H- oh, the po- the series yeah. of posters? Those are super cool. Yeah, I have seen them. We got to get some of those for a studio. Uh, That'd be I, And I'm not sure if they're official HBO or if it's just some guy doing it, but I, I will link to it in our show notes. I know it's HBO this, has them on their site, and they always link to them. It's a series of 40 posters that are done in this like very cool graphic style that illustrates almost every important death that's occurred in the series so far. Yeah, if and you think usually... of, like, Ollie Moss, that, it kind of reminds me a little bit of his stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, a little more colorful. Yeah. More saturated, I guess. It's 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 just really, really fucking cool the way. And sometimes, like, I just noticed when the one for Robert Baratheon, mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like this forest scene and with a little bit of blood in it but then if you notice like the hill that There's it's taking place on it's actually in the it's it's a very loose outline of a pig a oh, boar nice <laughs> i'm like man they're just really clever that way yeah so i will link those in the show notes and you guys should check it out it's awesome uh a couple things to clear up inver m did Brienne eat hot pies direwolf pie or did it go bad before she got to aria or what the fuck <laughs> that's a good point she, you think she could just flash the direwolf pie and mm-hmm. be like, you know, that would settle all questions for Arya. I don't think the hound would play along. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of curious that she didn't even try. I assume they ate it. It's that a long journey. Pod. Yeah, <laughs> Pod just ate it. Pod, God damn anybody. it, Pod! You <laughs> ate the dire. She's like, Pod, give me the direwolf. Face off. <laughs> and Pod just kind of looks at the ground and kicks the dirt. And she's like, really, you ate the fucking direwolf cake? Well, I saved his haunches. <laughs> <laughs> now that look, he no, he ate it in such a way that now it looks like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> he ate a mane around. Son his head. of a bitch! Yeah, she's like, you got the Lannister. And steel. that would have been really hilarious. She whips out the direwolf right. pie, and it's a and lion. It's, it's a lion. Oh my god! And the hound just goes at her. He also asks, wasn't Mance Raider one of the five kings in the War of Kings? Now it seems like he just wants shelter south of Wall. Hmm. The fuck is going on here? No, you misunderstood. He actually is the king beyond the wall that nobody south of the wall gives a shit about. No one south of the neck, which is the the southernmost em- part of the northern empire, That's even the, knows he exists. The moat that they took, moat yeah, Moat Kalen is is, yeah. is where you know Westeros is kind of like a peanut shaped continent, and uh-huh. that's like the neck. The neck is the waist of the peanut. Okay, uh, no one even knows about him or gives a shit. The War of Five Kings was Joffrey. Robert, Rob Stark, Stannis, Rinley, and Balon Greyjoy. Those are the five kings, canonical hmm. five kings of, of the war. Okay. Uh, what do you make of the stare down between the Red Woman and Jon Snow? Does she see royal <laughs> blood in him? More leeches, please. What do you make of that? Mm, she probably does smell that royal blood. She was pretty keen on that with the... What other... Gosh, what royal blood does he have, though? I mean, other than the Starks of old. Yeah. 
I mean, do they point. count that? Although it's a long trace back. Yeah, I mean, if they're going royal blood, considering like you know Robert's bastard child, maybe that that's hmm. if Gendry's got royal blood in him, then maybe John does through the old king of the north. I think it was. 300 More year old royal blood how old what's the expiration date on royal blood <laughs> i don't know good question uh typical game of thrones messing with viewers albeit not killing any favorite characters we got a line from the three-eyed raven old dude from the last crusade you're going to get back the thing you most want you mean i'm going to walk again nope doesn't mean he would warg into a flying creature i.e dragon Lots that would be fucking cool. Lots of feedback about people making that connection between flying and dragon. I can't say not because I don't know, or not because yeah, yeah. I can't tell, because that's an open question. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very popular book theory. How about... Bran is going to be involved in... He's going to be a dragon rider via remote control telepathy. Or he could just go full Atreyu, never-ending story <laughs> style, and uh-huh. ride Falgor... <laughs> into Dro- King's Landing. Drogon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that'd be sweet, too. Just saddle up. <laughs> okay. All right. He's been riding Hodor the entire time. Why not? Well, you know, there's the kind of a parallel between the how you train your dragons, where the kid lost his leg, <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, in the first season, Tyrion made this elaborate saddle that would allow him to ride a horse... Yeah, Tyrion's now disgraced, and he's heading over to Essos. Is there, you know, is there going to be some? That's another popular theory that this is going to be a meeting of the minds where it's going to be everybody against the Westeros establishment plus the White Walkers, and Tyrion and uh-huh. Bran and Danny are all going to be aligned. Again, I'm I don't not know spoiling anything. Yeah. This is just speculation based on what we've caught up with so far. That's a lot of different, a lot of different people with the same goal coming together but i mean even if they did come together and take king's landing then they got to fight it out to see who actually sits on the throne right stannis is not going to let danny sit on the throne it depends because that's another open question how happy will george rr martin allow this ending to be will it be a fairy tale (laughs) a fairy tale ending i wouldn't bet on that where like danny marries somebody we like and they live happily ever after and they share you know a peaceful rule of the kingdom is yeah. everyone that we care about going to die could be and there's going to be an epilogue where we have a glimmer of hope that maybe rickon is up in this king of the north and maybe tommen's still ruling <laughs> king of the south because he seems like a good boy and it's the boy kings that worked i mean or uh one thing that i'm kind of hot on right now is the fact that this will end the iron throne in westeros and after this yeah, yeah this winter coming that they're that it'll fracture back into the seven kingdoms and they'll have an uneasy uh, you know, it basically returns things to before the hmm. conquest of the original Aegon. Sure. Who the hell knows? I mean, there's at least three seasons and two books left. <laughs> there's also the wild card of the Dorn. The Dornish, yeah. Yeah, the the Dornish Empire seems like it could be really, really important coming up, considering, you know, they're the ones that fought off the dragons before. Um, Danny has dragons. I, there's going to be a clash between those two empires at some point. Uh, he also My wants prediction. to know, is the Hound dead? Is Sir Alistair dead? We didn't see him in the fire. What mm. is your opinion, Jim? You think the Hound's dead. I think the Hound's dead. I don't think Sir Alistair's dead. Okay. I don't, I, I don't know. I can't say about Sir Alistair. I don't know. Okay. Either way. And the Hound, 
I don't know conclusively either way as well. <laughs> I know nothing. You know nothing, Aaron. I don't. I don't. Sheem wants to know, hey, guys, can you explain a few things for me? Where were the rest of the Giants riding mammoths when Stannis shows up? To me, a giant on a mammoth could have run through a bunch of mountain knights. True. We talked about this, and we are trying to think, like, what a, ma- a giant on a mammoth equals about how many mounted knights. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like the answer is infinite. No. I feel like somewhere between 10 and 50 knights could easily take down a giant and a mammoth. And there's hmm. just not that many giants and mammoths. I mean, if you look at it, five dudes took down a giant who got stuck in a grate. True. Coming through a tunnel. And close quarters. And so. No mammoth. No mammoth. They're not writer. that strong, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. They're not, they're not fucking the Credible Hulk. They're no. flesh and blood creatures that can be killed with lances and spears and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, he also says, who takes out the guards that were lying on the ground outside of Tyrion's cell? Was it a one-armed Jamie? Mm, could be. I feel like that it was a Jamie Ver- Varus alliance. Probably some potions involved. <laughs> I don't have any. That's just kind of my assumption. And how did the whites outside the tree entrance turn skeletal when they were buried under ice? Shouldn't the ice have preserved their bodies? <laughs> Bogman style. My answer is magic. Jim, yep. what's your answer? That's a perfect answer. That covers everything. Another thing is, I don't think that this is quite the land of always winter. Like, this is very much up in Alaska, kind of, where in the height of summer, it probably gets marshy Hmm. and kind of, you know, mushy tundra and there's bacteria and things. And I don't know. I thought that they were trying to tell us that this was a very ancient cache of bodies, like maybe from the war, original war, the first men versus it could be thousands of years old. That's what it felt like, yeah. And it's all these freezing and thawing cycles that, uh... and there's other evidence. The fact that uh, someone said, in an email, I think, or maybe I read this online, that the the, the knife that Jojen was being stabbed with was bronze hmm. was another indication. We know okay. in Westeros proper they've moved on to steel and, and whatnot, but iron is, you know, bronze is a very bronze age. Yeah. Another showing how old these bodies might be. I wonder if there are any, like, house symbols or anything on their armor or... I don't know. I'll have to get the... I'll have to wait for the Blu-rays on that one. All right, so here's the point in the podcast where we're going to do book differences to show differences. I know a lot of people think that these are de facto spoilers. I'm of the opinion that, first of all, I've edited them. If there is anything that might give us a little bit too much information, I've, I've kicked that out. And I've mostly talked about that stuff in the spoiler sections of their respective cast. But it seems like it generates good fodder, and we can kind of debate about who wore, who did it seem better, the books or the show, and... Okay. You know, what do the differences maybe tell us about how they're going to resolve things? Or there's background information that might help you appreciate the series more. But I understand if you think that's a spoiler. And uh, have a great off season. We'll see you here next spring for Season 5 of Game of Thrones. And uh, we're also going to trek on with these differences. 401 Two Swords. One difference is the Thins are not actually cannibals in the books. The Thins really? are one of the more advanced wildling tribes. They actually have learned to forge and smelt bronze themselves. They have a kind of hierarchical structure as far as lords and kings and whatnot, similar to they're the most south-of-the-wall type people in the wildling empire. Okay. There is Ice River clans who are cannibals. Why hmm. do you think that they kind of combined... They, they, they took the name Thin and gave it to the cannibals. Why, why make these guys cannibals? I guess that's a big question. It certainly made them seem more menacing. 
Uh, I don't know that if they had just been wielding bronze weapons, I would have been as scared of them as I am knowing that they're going to eat the dead. I think like, also... I'm going to eat your mother and your father. Right. It preserves yeah. the surprise that... Uh, well, and then again, is this is if we believe him. It preserves the pr- surprise that Mance Raider actually doesn't want to conquer Westeros. He just kind of wants to get his people out. Mm, yeah, it yeah. isn't conquest. This is re- more of refugee. So making sending the more savage contingent down there to fuck shit up in the south delays that realization towards the end. Hmm. Okay. Sure. Uh, the interrogation of John takes place later in the novels. In fact, when John arrives at Castle Black, both Sir Alistair and Lord Janos were not even present. Hmm. Uh, they were over at another castle, Eastwatch by the Sea. That would have been nice. <laughs> not having, not having <laughs> not them. Alistair there, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so why do you think? Because they had the acting position was a one of the head uh, uh, head stewards, and then later oh. Donald Noyle, who was the head uh, smith. Why do you think? Why do you think that they kind of brought these antagonists over early to have them kind of uh, hounding Jon Snow throughout the season? Well, I need a question answered in order to uh, formulate a thought on that. Do they go to Craster's Keep in the book? And is there the problem of oh god, the people at Craster's Keep know that we only have a hundred and something no, guys? They do not. That's probably why they were adding that arc. They needed time to get up there. And this is kind of the impetus for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's interrogated. He says, uh, look, there's a whole bunch of dudes coming down. And that kind of sets up later when he says we need to go north because he finds out. Sure. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of that. We'll talk a little more about that later. Okay. Uh, Dantos gives Sansa a hairnet in the Book of Clash of Kings, not a necklace. <laughs> kind of like a veil style. I like this change. Okay. The necklace just looked cooler. A fucking hairnet. But, but there's a hairnet with jewels that yeah, are so taken off and poisoned Joffrey the same yes, way? It's exactly the same, except for it's a necklace versus a hairnet. Yeah. Yeah, a necklace just looks cooler. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, Brianna Tarth and Jamie Lannister do not arrive at King's Landing in time for the royal wedding. Hmm. Uh, some of the scenes from the uh, from Jamie's scenes did occur, but much later after his return, uh, wow. there is no direct talking of Jamie with Joffrey ever. Did you like the fact that they got a little bit of awkward father-son time and there's a little bit I do, of awkward yeah. brain? I do, too. I, I felt like this was a very positive change. And it set up that, that triple triangle, right? The the triangle between Jamie, Brienne, and Cersei. That, kind of while the wedding was going on, I thought that was brilliant. Certainly there's a... It, in the books, I definitely think there's that triangle there, except for I, Cersei's ignorant of it. And then, uh, then, then okay. that's me. Like I and, said, I ship, I ship Brian and Jamie in some capacity. Me too. Yeah, but, but it sounds like it happens after the wedding. I think mixing it up with the wedding is more interesting. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Especially for through film, when you're not allowed to just see Jamie's dreams and his thoughts mm, and yeah. Brian's dream. I mean, that it's a definitely great way when you're not limited to POV and their internal thoughts, it's a great way to put on screen. So I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oberyn's host arrives at King's Landing before the Red Wedding and basically stiffs Tyrion. In the books, Oberyn's actually there, and they meet outside the city, and they do all that speechifying there. And the books, he blows them off and goes right to the brothel. I thought that was a shorthand way of showing how kind of insolent and lecherous gotcha. and also establishes by a show, not tell how much he hates the Lannisters before he actually then explains it. So sure. I didn't have a problem with that. I like it. Uh, it's never in the books. The whole gray worm, Miss Sandy thing does <laughs> not, does not exist. I, are they 
She's only 10 years old in the books, number one. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that's Danny's different. Danny's 13, so. She definitely doesn't seem 13 in the in the show. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, so are those characters still connected at all? Are the characters even in the books? Sure. Both oh, yeah. of them? Both okay. of those are characters in the books. Huh. They it just... seems like that fills them out and makes them actual characters as opposed to, you know, ex-slaves. Yeah, and it just depends on where or they go. I, I feel like I, mm-hmm. I'm i not for or against this until I see how it develops. And I'm super I mean, curious it... about the Pillar and Stone stuff. Like, and what... how does that all fit with the type of relationship they're developing? Yeah, like what kind? It's clearly some sort of romantic relationship because we speculated maybe it's a brother-sister thing. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to be true. Yeah, because there was a part in the books where Miss Sandy talks about her slave brother, and I thought, well, maybe they'll bring it around. No, they're not bringing it around. Hmm. But what does a romantic relationship between a slave girl, former slave girl, and a current eunuch yeah. slave soldier look like? And I think that could be fascinating and also could <laughs> yeah. be god-awful bad. Sure. <laughs> and it, I could see it going either way. Because I have yeah, faith in the double in Ds, but they do fuck stuff up. Mm-hmm. Case in point, Cersei Jamie, which we'll be talking about next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Grey Worm and De, uh, Dehario Nyquilis never gamble with the swords, the feats of strength. Oh, okay. Uh, That's minor. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of dopey. I thought it both made him look stupid and made a little bit. It's little little teenage high school romance stuff, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, in the TV series, both Arya and the Hound survive the fight in the end, but in the books, the Hound is severely wounded and his injury begins to fester. This is the point where Arya abandons the Hound as per his urging. In the series, the scene is postponed to the season's hmm. climax, uh, where he's mortally wounded and hit off a cliff during a fight with Brienne of Tarth. It's hard to argue that uh, we'd be better off missing the Hound and Arya roadshow throughout the whole season. Yeah. And it's very hard to argue that him being wounded at this battle at the inn is superior to him and Brienne meeting and beating the shit out of each other, which never happens in the books. But that was so awesome. I can't complain. Yeah, I have had zero complaints about Arya and the Hound this entire season. Right. It's been great. Because in the books, Brienne just kind of fucks around. Oh, yeah? They got this really weird strategy where she's off in search, you know, just kind of like she's gone off in search of Sansa, but she doesn't know where Sansa's at. And okay. she's just, and we know where Sansa's at because she's at the Eerie with Littlefinger, <laughs> and it's somehow, even though she's got no way to know this, she just has this goes nowhere storyline. At least they gave us Podrick and in they this gave, one to, well, he, to she tell does, her where she is. Probably. Right, right, right. And the fact yeah. that she had a clear mission to go send that, and they they yeah. met up with the Hound, and they met up with Hot Pie, which doesn't happen. It gave her a lot more things to do um, that maybe arguably make more sense than the books. And yeah. I still think they can bring it, they can merge this easily with where at the action is in the books. I can see where they had to kind of make some stuff up for her because last season was so interesting with her and Jamie. Sure. Their little roadshow. And splitting them up is just... It's, it's made her less of a character, I think. You know, mm. I mean, she's still awesome, no yeah. doubt. And she's still got that history that she has built up through... Her relationship with Jamie, but I think that relationship was so interesting. You take that away now, right? Brienne's a great character. Jamie's a great character. Exactly. But they're peanut butter and chocolate. Brienne and Pod are not. They have, their chemistry is almost purely comedic. Yes, in the books yeah, yeah. and the series, and that's not as good as uh, Gwendolyn and Nicolaj going head to head. And it's not as good as Arya and the Hound, which kind of stole the show. Certainly, yeah. 
Moving on to 402, lying in the rose in the books. Joffrey shows no sign of gratitude towards his uncle Tyrion's wedding present, which is the illustrated the history book, of yeah. the kings. Instead, he he just basically turns it into another insult for Sansa and Tyrion. Uh, I kind of actually like the fact that they rope a dope this with him being stately for once to just later hack the book to pieces. Yeah, and it shows his total disregard for any kind of wisdom. No, it's it's the equivalent of a teenage a rich teenager getting a Gutenberg Bible. Yeah. Yeah, an original sh- printing. And then someone gives him an AK-47 and he just shoots it up. Yeah. I mean, it's – it's. I like the way they portrayed it in the show because it was kind of like, God, wow, it's it re- super douchey. It reminds me of the Jay-Z song where he's talking about letting his daughter play with his paintings. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that's yours. Go ahead and do whatever you want with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to Joffrey. Uh, he did ar- – there, there's – the War of the Five Kings was something that is invented for the show where they had the f- uh, five dwarves in the books – it was basically he had two dwarves jousting on pigs. Okay. Same deal. It was it was largely an yeah. insult aimed solely at Tyrion. I like the fact that by making it to War of the Five Kings, you got to mortify Marjorie and Olena and Loras and make Tywin uncomfortable. Yeah. And 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 insult Sansa. Like ev- half the people we cared about <laughs> were sick about this performance. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, apparently, Benioff and Weiss wanted to do it like the books, but they started inquiring, and the who, whatever their or, uh, agency that's responsible for um, ensuring the humane treatment of animals says you can't have actors riding pigs, <laughs> and that made them think outside the box of what they could do. And I, yeah, I think it can, it was actually superior. It worked really well. Uh. Rather than Braun, Jamie has Sir Ilan Payne, who is the guy, the mute Lannister that took the head off of uh, Ned Stark in the first season, mm-hmm. to train him in the use of his left hand, largely because Payne had his tongue removed by the uh, Mad King Eris, and he can't speak or write. Uh, again, uh, the reason that this happened is because in real life, the actor that portrayed Ilan Payne has had a, a, a tragic, valiant fight with uh, cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was unable to do the filming. That's a bummer, and that's sad. But I like Jamie and Braun together. I do too. I like it a lot because their personalities really clash. Uh, like Jamie's thinks he's an arch smartass, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then he meets Braun, and like Braun is able to get under his skin. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and, and Jamie's been you know shut down as far as uh, his power goes. He's now kind of at the mercy of Braun. I like that a lot. Um, that kind of hasn't gone anywhere, though, right? I mean, Jamie hasn't had any epic battles where he's learned from Braun how to actually fight with his left hand. Braun and him didn't square down in the the uh, shit. What is it? The trial by combat. Yep. Which I was hoping to see. Yep. Uh, that hasn't really gone anywhere, and I'm hoping it does next season. All right. Mildly interesting. We'll move on. Uh, Jamie Brynn didn't attend the wedding because they actually didn't make it to King's Landing until after Joffrey's death. Okay. Uh, I liked all the scenes with them, so That's, I'm in favor of... We already I, talked I about this. I actually feel like, <laughs> yeah, that this is a theme that I fe- feel like that the Double Ds fixed a lot of awkward timing issues that was in Martin's original work. Uh, and there's only really one casualty, and that was Jamie's and Cersei's relationship, and I think that's just a fucked up piece of film. Yeah, and they're probably doing a lot to uh, make this into a television show, to adapt it. 
Yeah. Like you said, you can't really do narration in somebody's head. So you've got to do a lot of stuff to show rather than tell. And that's some of the changes we see, I'm sure. Uh, Roose Bolton does not smuggle himself and his wife into the north to reach the Dreadfort. He remained with his main army, which had marched north from the Twins, but he couldn't get past the moat. Um, in the C series, Roos must have circumvented, uh, anyway. Hmm. So w they never meet until after, uh, Theon takes the Dreadfort or no, I'm sorry. Wow. After, okay. Uh, after, uh, Ramsey's. Is... So he's not sent on a mission to take exactly. Mo Uh, I like the scene between Ramsey's, uh, Ramsey and Roos. And I think it was again, yeah. a, an approved timing challenge. Although they just made it up. I mean, it's like he just smuggled himself across. I thought that was kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramsey's hunt of the girl in the woods <laughs> is actually a significantly toned down version of a pastiche of things from the books. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's Ramsey's a fucking sick <laughs> bastard in the books. I mean, I get it. In the show, he's a sick bastard. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But you're telling me he's worse? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't even want to talk okay. about it. Yep. Um, in the TV series, Ramsey has a friendship with Locke over their shared sadism. In the books, this doesn't happen because Locke is an invented character. Hmm. Uh, he's kind of takes okay. a lot of role of this uh, Vargo Hote character, but um, you know, I don't think that's a major point. And I thought Vargo is a silly character in the book because he talks with this outrageous lisp, and he's an idiot. Hmm. Okay. Having Locke be a smart guy who's just kind of cruel and likes fucking with Jamie, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the books, you like this, Jim. Jamie's hand actually is made of solid gold. All right, that sweet Lannister gold, gold-plated steel. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's like how much, how heavy must that be to be at the I very end of your arm? My God. Uh, in the books, Tywin wasn't warned about Cersei finding that, or Tyrion rather, wasn't warned about Cersei finding out about Shay. Hmm. Therefore, there was not an arrangement for her being shipped away to Pintos. Do you have any thoughts or opinions? This is kind of overall. Nah. Uh, a symptom of how they soften Shay's character. In the book, she's portrayed as a gold-digging whore. Okay. Not in here. In the show, it seems like her feelings for, or for Tyrion are genuine, if not if not naive. Sure. Got yeah, a good take on that different. as well in the, in the feedback section. Uh, there's a bunch of minor differences about in this... this the season, the series showed the breakfast and the wedding taking place outside where there are various indoor locations... Okay. Um, I f so here's the, the in the books the indoor locations are kind of dark and brooding, you mm -hmm. know, like the the throne room, etc. This is lit by torchlight. Happens at night in the books. It's a very outdoor, airy, and bright. Thematically, which do you prefer? Dark deeds happening in a brightly lit area, or dark deeds happening in a dungeon-like atmosphere? There's definitely something to be said for the juxtaposition of the the bright atmosphere with the things that are actually happening. Right. Uh, so I, I would be interested to see something like that in the show. Okay. Uh, well, final difference. As he chokes to death, Joffrey gruesomely claws at his throat in a desperate bid to get air, leaving bloody gashes in his neck and his face. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, in the TV series, he just kind of chokes and turns purple. D so? <laughs> okay, I just wondered if... if yeah. Because some people were of the thought that he didn't die a hideous enough death. And the oh, book, it, was, man. it okay. was a little bit hit, more hideous. His face swelled up all purple, and his veins popped out, and it was pretty gross. All right, moving on, 403, Breaker of Chains. Tywin never talks to Tommen about the qualities of a good king in the books. There's That scene is invented. 
You like that change? I love that change. I li- I think that's one of the best scenes in this particular uh, yep. episode. So yeah, yeah absolutely, I definitely like that change. Uh, first thing Jamie does when he returns to King's Landing is go to Great Sept of Baylor. Uh, as he arrived after Jeffrey's, Joffrey's death, and then they have sex, which was a lot more consensual in the books. Uh, well, mm-hmm. it's still coercive, but there's not her sobbing and saying no, no, as she's driven to the floor. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a bunch about this. I don't think there's any way to reconcile it with the view that the filmmakers had on it. So Seems this is the one awkward part, be. because that's the first time she sees Jamie, and she's very honestly happy where in this, it's like they've had a couple weeks to kind of fester in their relationship and her to brood and say you were too late. Huh. And as a yeah, result, yeah. the sex scene just didn't work on any level <laughs> the way they intended it to. Um, let's see. John never proposes to march on Craster's Keep to deal with the mutineers. Okay. Uh, because by the time that all happens, the free folk and the thins have already atti- uh, begun their southern assault on Castle Black. Sam never sends Gilly to Molestown because Sam and Gilly were still traveling north of the wall. Yeah, that uh, seems like a delay, right? That's just mm-hmm. we need something for Sam to do here, yep. so let's send him off to. Molestown. In fact, the Night's Watch in the books they had recruited most of the able-bodied men from Molestown to boost their numbers, and yeah, it wasn't quite as a one-sided fight in the books as it was in the television show. Uh, in the books. The uh, hero of Marine faces off against his character called Strong Belwas, which is a Dothraki pit-fighting slave who's this enormously fat dude. Okay. And the guy the guy kill it's goes down similarly where the guy ends up uh, getting drug off his horse and he beheads him, but Belwas in response uh, shits on the corpse in front <laughs> of the city instead of pisses. He like one-ups the oh, pissing. Oh boy. A lot of book readers upset that Strong Bellowless didn't get uh, into the show. Hmm. You can't show a man shitting on a corpse in t- on television, <laughs> right? Uh, on HBO, maybe. Maybe. But I feel like it, it helps Dario's character that he yeah. was able to take this guy down and impress because Dario, Danny. New Dario was a, dis- as a fiasco up to this point. Yes. And he's still yeah. kind of a fiasco. But, but that helped a This lot. gave him a little bit of his badass swagger back. For sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, Danny doesn't order the chains and cause the freed slaves to be fired over the walls of Marine because she didn't have any siege implements in the book. <laughs> Just because she couldn't. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Uh, Davos doesn't write to the Iron Bank requiring financial aid. Nor does he suggest hiring the Golden Company. Really? In the books... That's a huge deal. In the books, the Iron Bank comes to Stannis because... The, the Lannisters aren't paying their debts. Exactly. Oh, shit. So is mm. that better or worse? The fact that the Iron Bank... That takes the that takes the scene of him kind of kind of groveling before Bravo, convincing them. I, I don't know whether that's better or worse. It just is. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard to say. Uh, I, I'm with you. I it's okay either way. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Tywin never speaks in private with Oberyn about Ilya's murder. Um, huh. I you know having those two have screen time together, I'm not going to argue against. Sure. Uh, in the book, it's kind of like Oberyn puts all this stuff together, the champion thing, all that stuff. There's no quid pro quo. Is that, he? So he's not on the judging council of he Tyrion? Is. He is. Because he was inconsequential on that council. Yeah. I mean, it right. never even went down to a vote. Right. Uh, 404 Oathkeeper 
the whole Miss Sandy teaching Grey Worm is invented. Yeah. Okay. Which that fits them having this little romance plot. There's no conversation over between Olena and Marjorie in the gardens uh, where she kind of huh. outlines the plot and the whole yeah. her marrying a Targaryen, all that. It's, it's a pep talk. Yeah. I mean, Marjorie. For one thing, neither of these characters are point of view characters, so there would be no one around to overhear this comment. Uh, but and and <laughs> okay. also, the the whole mystery about who killed Joffrey lasts a lot longer in the books because All we right. don't have these overt scenes. I kind of feel like that's better. I I think maybe yeah, the book. I I felt like it happened a little too quickly, and and we kind of already knew, but it was nice to have the doubt. Like, sure. Like who did this? Did Tywin do this? Because there was a lot of evidence pointing to Tywin actually being the culprit. In the books, Lady Olena does not leave the capital city after Joffrey's death, but she also isn't a huge character, so mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with her. I, I felt like that made it more interesting that Marjorie kind of stands on her own. She doesn't have her grandma popping her, uh, yeah, her yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir Pounce, which is the cat, uh, kitten of uh, Tommen, was one of three black kittens given to him by Marjorie as gifts, because in the book, Tommen's like nine years old. Okay. So it's even creepier than her <laughs> sneaking in his bedroom and seducing him as a 14, 15 year old. Mm-hmm. So she gives him kittens as a way, you know, kittens and candy are the way you, you, you win a nine year old's heart. Sure. Uh, so I, I thought that was a wink to the book readers. And still, I do like the fact that she's just, you know, again, Marjorie Tyrell is not something a teenage boy is equipped to handle. Not at all. And Not on I, any level. <laughs> I, I really like that, and it's, I'm interested in seeing where this goes going forward. Mm-hmm. In the books, Potter doesn't get assigned to Brienne as some kind of like parting gift. They meet up later because hmm. Podrick wants to find Ty- Tyrion and uh, clear his name after the whole unpleasantness. So does Tyrion still send him away, but just no? I mean, kind of just, on his own. Tyrion uh, runs off from the capital, and Podrick's left holding his dick. Oh, okay. So he finds Brienne and, and kind of says partners with her mm-hmm. organically. I don't, again, I don't think that's better or worse. I actually like, it's kind of sweet that Tyrion was trying to look after him. Yeah. In that way. Uh, Sam never revealed, never broke, uh, never revealed to John that Bran was beyond the wall. In the book, he has to promise that he wouldn't, and he keeps that promise. In the books, in the show, he's like, yeah, yeah, your brother's alive, and he's north of the wall. <laughs> this is a consequence of the whole Craster's Creep keep business which we'll get to shortly okay um and then of course brand never goes across uh comes across craster's keep and they're thus not captured Hmm. which will set up other differences 405 first of his name peter has sansa poses his bastard daughter not his niece minor change and i think it's more in line to our sensibilities him her posing as his bastard daughter makes things way creepier sure than the niece somehow uh, Lysa and Peter got married at his shitty old ancestral keep in the fingers, not at the Erie. Don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lysa only reveals that she's the one that killed John Aaron much later in the books, and Sansa wasn't present when it happened. Uh, I don't mind that change. I don't know what ramifications I don't that has throughout the series. It makes Sansa more aware of how awful her aunt is, maybe? A little bit, yeah. Uh, Lysa's much less kind of big sister with Sans in the book. She's more overtly, you're a threat and you scare me and I want you dead from the get jump. Okay. Robin is never made aware that Sansa is related to him. So that's a big change that might have Could repercussions have, yeah. in the future. Don't know because it didn't happen in the book. 
Gold mines of Westeros had not run dry. They're as prosperous as ever. The huh. Lannisters, in fact, the majority of the debt the Crown owes to the, uh, anyone is due to Lannisters. The Lannisters are still rich bitches in the book. Really? That's a huge change. That's massive, yeah. And I wonder why they did it. So how did... So my big question is why do the Lannisters want to get together with the Tyrells then? Because the whole impetus for that in the series is for them to pay off their debts through the Tyrell wealth. I think it's because the Lannisters have done the bulk of the fighting for the crown and they are, and also they're part of the crown, the uh, Westerlands and the Riverlands, which are the traditional, you know, food supplying places of Westeros got decimated where the Tyrells, their army is mostly unscratched and their lands unspoiled. Tywin needs them not for their gold, but for their men and their the mouths they can feed. Okay. And this, I feel like that's a little bit too complicated to explain. So they just made Tywin broke to be like, well, there, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's reason. Yeah, that works for me. Uh, Ghost came back to John much later in the books, and he did not kill anybody at Craster's Keep. Why do you think? They they did this whole Craster's Keep business. We have Bran and John almost meet. I really don't know. That is the one thing that kind of feels wrong about this season. Yeah, like the whole pacing with the wall stuff just feels wrong to me. And I I don't know if it's because they took such a such a large deviation in other parts mm -hmm. uh, in other people's storylines that they had to do something different up here. So here's the thing. I'm gonna. This is maybe the potential biggest spoiler I'm about to, but I don't see it ever coming back into the series. Okay. There's this character named Cold Hands in the books <laughs> who is a white, okay. but he's an intelligent, benevolent white. Oh Jesus! Where's he at? He's north of the wall. He he identifies as a a ranger from long ago who died and meets Bran, and uh, just at the um, you know helps him get through the wall at the uh, the knight's castle, and then guides him to the uh, One-Eyed Raven. Okay. And it's kind of his guide of where you're going and who you're supposed to meet with, whereas in the series, they completely deleted this character. They put in Jojen. And no, they gave Bran the ability to, to mind meld with trees oh, and okay. be guided directly by the Three-Eyed Crow. Gotcha. Um, I don't... I mean, th there's a lot of... A lot of fans, book fans, wanted to see Cold Hands because he's kind of a cool character, and he gives us a different but view of whites. I, I like the idea that the the whole winter force uh -huh. up there is just very mysterious. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I want to, you know, humanize them in any way. Plus, one of the until maybe later when we have to. But there's 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 a couple popular theories about the Cold Hands character. One that he's actually Benjamin Stark. Okay. You know, the one that's been I don't missing know since season those one. Many, many children of the No. He's John's <laughs> uncle who first recruited into the Night's Watch. He got then he vanished and we haven't seen him since. Okay. Uh I don't believe that because it kind of doesn't jive with his whole ancient status. Uh two mm. is that he's actually a white that's being war controlled by the th third eye three eye crow. The third okay. eye blind. And and the the three eyed raven is the old guy in the old, tree. Old twisty roots guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he seems pretty powerful. He could do both at once, right? Yeah, I mean, so again, it's cool, but really his whole purpose. And so in the books, you're kind of never sure whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. Because on the okay. one hand, he's helping Bran, but on one hand, he's white. One of the yeah. big divisive things is he he goes 
to Craster's keep and murders all the mutineers. And oh Bran huh. follows him with Summer and sees this. He sees him murdering all these uh, Night's Watch guys. And the guy comes out and Bran, Bran confronts him. And you think, well, maybe this is a bad guy. And he's like, and uh, Cold Hand says, nope, they were foes. Hmm. And we know as the book readers, that was kind of like our wink that like this guy is actually all right because we knew that they were just a mutineers and they were rast and the fucking legend of Jin alley and he disposed of them yeah. whereas from brand's perspective this guy's killing black brothers what the fuck yeah yeah so there's a lot of cool hmm. creepy things with him but i can't say that the series was materially hurt by his being omitted no and i, I don't like what that would have done to the white walkers honestly yeah in, in my mind it muddles things a little bit a little bit yeah so, uh, moving on to 406, The Laws of God and Men. Overall, very faithful episode to the source material. But, uh, as we mentioned, Stannis never went to Braavos. Uh, yeah. In fact, he meets with this the Iron Bank much later in the series. See, I like that Stannis did go to Braavos because it cements Braavos and, and the Iron Bank as a place to me. Like, before, it was just a concept. It's like... There's this bank out there that's doing things. Sure. Who knows where? Sure. And now I know exactly where it is. I know what it looks like. It's a cemented it's a place, place on the map. in my head. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I find it hard to argue that this is a, a worse way to, to treat it. Uh, the Greyjoy forces never attacked a dread fort to free Theon. Yara slash Asha hmm. never came uh, and tried to free Theon. Okay. It didn't go anywhere, I so know. who gives a fuck, right? I, I kind of wonder, <laughs> was that only to keep Asha slash Yara in the, story. in the store, in this in the viewers' minds? And if so, for what purpose? Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed pointless. Yeah, as a book reader, again, it's like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, Jamie never agrees to leave the Kingsguard and marry in order to have Tyrion spared. Uh, in fact, Jamie and Tywin mm. never speak to each other again after Jamie decides to stay in the Kingsguard as he is disowned like permanently. That kind of almost feels more right, yeah. honestly. I, uh, Tywin, yes, it was very subtle the way he said it, like uh, a man with a family, no family in one hand needs certainly all the advantages he can get. But then that leaves a lot of a lot of stuff unsaid between Jamie and Tywin that I liked. It does make. Tywin, really, a more calculated character, because in the books, it, it was his plan all along to spare Tyrion by sending him to the Black. See, and we don't know that in the show it's until Jamie and him talk. I, I think it's there as subtext because he's like, done. You know, yeah. oh, you're going to give me it what is. I want anyway and do what you, I want you to do. Done. So yep. I feel like then that's kind of a nod to book readers. But, yeah, I, I, I know. I don't think it's, it's a destructive change, but slightly weaker than in the books. How, how did they convey that plan in the books? Was I, it all a running thing in Tywin's head? Did we get narration? No, he's of not a POV. Plan? He's not a POV. I think it's something huh. that maybe I think Kevin, Kevin Lannister, who we've seen before, has been very minorly in the books. He's been in Tywin's war councils and two separate occasions. He's Kevin's. Uh, he's uh, Tywin's brother, younger brother, and Jamie's uncle, okay. and Tyrion's uncle. He actually is the go-between between Tyrion because again, Jamie doesn't show up until uh, later. So yeah. it's basic. It's Kevin going to the prison and saying all these things to Tyrion, and I think Tyrion at one point is like, "Yeah, my father's going to kill me." And Kevin's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Do you think Tywin's going to let blah blah blah?" So, so they actually let me get this straight. Yep. The double D's took the characters in the book and they pared them down, and this is what we're left with. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's take Kevin. Let's get him out of here. Let's yeah. put this all on Jamie. 
They love doing that. They love Christ, taking characters. There's so many characters. They they love ma- reducing the amount of characters. I mean, that's the thing. You think it's bad? That's what I'm it saying. It could easily be worse. <laughs> uh, so don't have cold hands. <laughs> don't have Kevin in any capacity. His hands are just lukewarm. Yeah. To be yeah. fair. Uh-huh. Now we got gold hands too, which is dangerous. So Shay's surprise testimony does occur in the books, but it's for a different reason. In the books, she's very much more mercenary and like, okay, well, Tyrion uh, yeah, can't give anything. She's a gold-digging whore. She's gold-digging whore. And this, it's just basically to screw over Tyrion for sending her away, which doesn't happen in the books. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, trying to make Shay a more sympathetic character was admirable. And if it had been anyone but the actress, I think it would have worked. <laughs> I just never really connected to that woman. Okay. So, eh, fell flat for me. 407 Mockingbird, in the books, this Rorge character is the, the one that takes a bite out of, uh, well, that's Biter. But the two guys that accost the Hound, they actually fought Brienne and Podrick, not Arya. Hmm. Okay. So I feel like uh, this is another way to keep the Hound and Arya together. And it's a way to take Brienne out of this fight and then now that you've got the hound surviving, you can have them do the fight. Hmm. That's hard yeah. to argue that that's not a better better choice. But the way it turned out on screen, I'm super glad that happened. I almost wonder if Martin could do it over again if he wouldn't do some of this stuff. Maybe. Because some I, of these changes, I think, are inarguably better. Yeah, you know, you wonder how much of a role he has in making these changes in the series. I mean, he any? writes at least one episode a season, so... Yeah. Uh, so where where is... Like, what is the status of Arya at that point? If she's not, you know, stabbing people through the heart and learning so much about killing from the Hound, it doesn't seem like she's as fleshed out at this point in the book. No, I mean, it's weird because they make her go, they make her get her first kills in very early on. Oh, okay. And it kind of happens pretty fast, whereas this, the show, it's, it's a much more gradual descent into her being a killer. Yes, so I feel like, again, it's hard to argue that that's not superior. And his her chemistry with the Hound is just so good. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they kept him alive. Um, Oberyn told Tyrion the story of when he visited Castle Rock on the approach to King's Landing when they first met, not in the dungeons. Moving that to the dungeons and him saying, I'm the champion, I think... Brilliant. ...is the way to go. That yep. made that scene have some really serious oomph. <laughs> Absolutely. It was badass in the books, but having putting those scenes together just made it really, really resonant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the books, there's this bard, Marillion, who actually, Tyrion, um, you, you remember in season one, Joffrey had his tongue ripped out because he was making songs, making fun of his father being killed by a, a boar. Okay. That's the same guy. He actually is a character throughout the books, and he follows uh, Sansa and Littlefinger to the... Uh, eerie mm-hmm. and he becomes like a court favorite of Lysa and he's in the room when Peter chucks her out the moon door hmm. and Pete uh, Peter actually blames him say, the he murder. can't say anything about it to defend himself right? <laughs> right well no he doesn't get maimed in the books oh okay but in so in the books he has a patsy and he doesn't rely on Sansa to lie for him to gotcha. get his way yeah, that felt a little awkward in the show. A little awkward, and it it made it feel like this was a, a roll of the dice, a crime of passion yeah. that Littlefinger, he didn't have an answer for. But it's hard to argue that it gave Sansa interesting things to do, and it really transformed sure. her character. 
and you don't have endless, endless, endless monologues of Sansa in the books, and you have to have something like hmm. exclamation point. It's a little. It's on, it's on the border. It's, of me. it's a little disappointing on Littlefinger's side. Yes, but it but I like him... it on Sansa's side because what if without that moment, what is she left with as a character in the first four seasons of the show? Well, we have some feedback on that to take you to task on that statement. Okay, but uh, no, I mean again, hard to argue that that it, it does it diminishes Littlefinger's Lex Luthorian Batman esque yeah, yeah. plotting mm-hmm. a little bit. But it makes Sansa a much more interesting character sooner, or conventionally interesting character. Sure, I should sure. Say. Um, anyway, and again, when Littlefinger chucks her out the door, he says, "Only cat, rather than your sister." A Who thousand cares? bricks were shat on. Who gives a shit? Slash R slash a song of ice and fire. <laughs> slash R slash Who gives, Who gives a, shit? a shit? We'll move on. <laughs> Mountain and Viper. Egret never meets Gilly in the books, as she hadn't returned to Castle Black yet. That so basically everything I her. And Mole Town, her being spared. I don't have a problem with that. No, that's fine. A little irony, dramatic irony, in, injected into the into the mix. Uh, we talked about the Marillion character and how he was made to confess to the crime, and that completely got Peter off the hook. Uh, it's so, and it's Littlefinger that does all the lying to the lords. It's not Sansa. Uh, Sansa doesn't yep. reveal her identity to any of these people. That's an interesting change that might shake out a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Grey Worm and Miss Sandy, all that stuff's made up. Um, it, uh, that's a minor detail. In the so in the t- in the books, there's a lot of rainbow imagery. Like for example, like okay. Rinley, his King's Guard is the Rainbow Guard, which all is right. kind of funny because he's a flamboyantly gay character. Uh huh. But in this scene where Reek is is going to Moat Kalen to treat with him, he's carrying a white flag. In the books, it's a rainbow flag, huh? Because it's a it's a representation of the faith of the seven. Got the seven, the seven the, the colors, Roy, the Roy G. Biv, to, to the seven kingdoms, seven aspects of the god. So the, tr- the flag of truce is a rainbow truce, and it's a sign of peace huh. as well. Okay, but you can imagine how ridiculous it would look for Theon <laughs> yeah. to ride forth of the rainbow flag. It, the internet would go crazy. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Uh, there'd be so many image macros of Rinley being or uh, Laura's being like her, her. They've already got the Gay of Thrones videos. Oh, I God. mean, imagine how much worse they would be. Yes. <laughs> so Ramsay was legitimized much early in the books after the red uh, wedding, after the red wedding, as a kickback to Roos. In the television show, it's a quid pro quo deal where Roos is like, "You take Moat Kalen, and I legitimize you." I feel like that was a way better change because it where he surprised it, him with it. It makes yeah. their relationship kind of like you get the feeling that Ramsey is a little bit of Roos's reek that okay. he kind of ver- verbally abuses him and puts him down and fosters this sense of inferiority mm-hmm. and then rewards him occasionally with these things and and you thought that's what he was doing when he asked his last name right yes like what is your last name yeah well I'm a snow I'm not technically nope. You're a Bolton now. Yeah. So I, I like that change. Uh, in the book, Sir Barristan reveals Jorah's secret a lot easier, the fact that he was uh, uh, not because he got Spy. The, not because he gets a letter from Tywin, but because he was actually present in the small council chambers in his capacity as Lord Commander of the, the Kingsguard. So he is a firsthand uh, the spy reports. Huh. And in fact, when Danny... How early does that happen? Does well, he see, do that's it right the away? thing, because... 
it's this thing like you're both lying to me because he and we talked about this last season. I know you weren't part of it, but he appears as this other character, Arison Whitebeard. Uh-huh. This guy with a long beard and like flowing monk robes, and he's kind of a, a, a he does save Danny from the the little manticore venom thing, okay, the scorpion. But he doesn't say that I'm Barristan the Bold because obviously that's a kind of an issue. The fact that he was the Kingsguard to her, the usurper, right? Sure, he might seem like the spy. So he eventually outs himself after he's been to Danny for a long time and earned her trust. And that kind of like has Danny's like, what the fuck? You know, I don't know who to trust. You're the blah, blah, blah. Huh. And then he throws the Jorah under the bus to kind of deflect. So she has this thing where she doesn't, you know, it's kind of like both of my advisors. I can't trust. She ends up, hmm. you know, b- believing Barristan and kicking Jorah out. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that felt kind of hokey in the books. And having maybe you not having and you also can't pull off a disguise like if Barrison the Bold shows up in a hokey stage beard, <laughs> yeah. us as viewers are going to be like, get the fuck out of <laughs> here. Barristan. That's, that's Barristan, man. He can cut you down like all so much butter. Uh, that never Interesting. works. So that that kind of. So it's weird in the in the show, he doesn't know, right? He's been exiled before that. He he has to get the letter from Tywin to understand that Jorah was a spy. Well, there was a lot of speculation because when he's introduced to Jorah, they have he's a rough got, relationship already. He's got kind of a knowing glance of yeah. people. Like, I wonder if he's keeping this to later on. But it turns out, no. This, yeah, yeah. this is the first he heard of it. And huh. I kind of like how it played out. It's it's more like, nope, Jorah, you're the asshole. You're the one she can't trust. There's not as needless ambigui- ambiguity there. Yeah. And there's no reason for her not to trust Barrison since he came to her as that and kind of begged forgiveness from the beginning. So sure. that's kind of the only way they could have done it. And I feel like it's at least a neutral change, maybe even better. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, uh, Let's see, what else? Arya and Hound never go to the Vale, never go to the Bloody Gate. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, actually, they're. I don't think they just make it that far. They tried, but he got killed back in the... At, at the the inn, killed or maybe not killed, killed maimed, whatever, <laughs> weakened, infected. Uh, Jamie T- and Tyrion, they never talked about their cousin, Orson, the thunk, oh, yeah. thunk thunker with thunk, the bugs. Thunk, thunk. That's completely made up in the books or made up for the series. I okay. like the scene though. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about you know what that meant, um, and I don't think we ever came up with a firm answer on that. But it did a lot of speculation, and I, I felt like it, you know, it built a connection between Jamie and Tyrion that maybe we hadn't completely firmed up yet, right? In our minds, um, I don't know. I, I liked it though a lot. They also the reason that Peter and Robin and Sansa leave the Eyrie uh, in the in the show they make it seem like it's hey it's time for him to go out and see the Vale. Yeah. In the books, it's winter is also coming, and this is a high mountain castle. We got to get the fuck out of here, or we're going to be. Huh. It, it, that, that so, ba- so people give a shit about winter in the book. Yeah, the eerie. Because <laughs> nobody does right now. In the eerie, yeah, it's like you cannot winter there. You have to go down out of the mountains, or you will die. Huh. So, wow. That's uh, just a subtle detail that's missed in the show. Uh, 409 Watchers on the Wall, The Wildings. Uh, this the battle north and south of the wall doesn't attack happen simultaneously. Hmm. The south forces attack. 
they're beaten beaten back, and then Mance launches the attack from the north afterwards. But there's you know kind of a lull in the battle. It seems like a much better idea to attack at the same time, to Agreed. coordinate yeah, that to coordinate attack it. and yeah. confuse them and overrun them. Certainly, Pip and Grin both survive, and the only reason the there's been interviews with the Double Ds, and they said, hey, you know. In the books, you had Donald Noyle, who was the blacksmith. It was, like, cool that you have a last stand you cared about him. Nobody knows anybody but John, Pip, and Grin, so we killed Pip and Grin. And Sam. Okay. We killed Pip and Grin to try to wring some emotion out of the audience. Did it work, Jim? No. No. Didn't give a shit. I feel like that's the majority. <laughs> There's a couple people that said they did feel something or were at least shocked and surprised, but uh-huh. if you weren't a book reader, I don't, I don't know why you would. They were given so little screen time and no emotional impact. Uh, neither Sir Alistair or Jonas Slint were present at the wall at the beginning of the battle. They arrive in between the two battles. Okay. Ghost is still not re- reunited with John at this point in the books. Hmm. He's still off in the, f- in the north fucking around. Um, Tormund is with Mance during the battle. He doesn't, he's not one of the ones that climbed the wall with Egret and John, so thus he is not captured. Okay. Don't really care. Uh, in the books, it's never revealed who killed Egret. She's hit by an arrow fired from the castle. John. Really? It's completely just random. Well, John, they're like they're doing volleys of arrows, and he sees her, and he sees her go down an arrow, but he's like, did I kill her? Did someone else kill her? Oh, Jesus. She's still alive when he finds her after the battle, and she dies in his arm, pretty much like... Say so you know nothing, John Snow. And he notices that his fletching, it's not the arrow that's actually in her, it's not one of his fletchings, so he knows okay. it's not him. But yeah, they have God, a little. But they, you have no idea who killed her. She just dies. No, just dies of. But I like that. It's like you know they didn't have the whole kid from the village and his whole backstory. I like the fact that it's God. That's such it's a war. You uh, die. That's such a germ thing to do. Mm, like, let's indeed. not even tell you who killed this main character right. who you have affection for. Right. It's just war. Just man. a random arrow. Uh, this is I kind of dis- was disappointed in this. In in the books, there's this wooden staircase switchback that's like the longer way to get up the wall rather than the winch. It's like the backup way. Okay. And in the books, they winch up the cage at the top, and the wildlings get through the castle. They start storming up the wall, mm-hmm. and then the Black Brothers set the bottom of it. On fire, they retreat to the top. Set it's, the bottom. It's a Home Alone move. We've seen this a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, this... It's the gasoline-soaked rope. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's the climax and how they beat them. As they like, they they cut it at the top and they burn it at the bottom and it kills almost the entire party. Wow, that didn't get killed by the withering barrage of arrows and stuff. So, that would have been cool to visualize, though. Yeah, definitely. But they did especially if you could take a like a wide shot of that with the flame burning up the oh, side yeah, of this ice wall. See, yeah, that'd be super cool. But it didn't happen. Let's see what else. Um, there's different numbers in the battle. In the books, they make it seem like the wildlings have like twenty to thirty thousand warriors, and there's more like four or five hundred people in Castle Black because they pulled in hmm. brothers from the other castles, and they've also got a bunch of guys from Molestown. Yeah, so it's yeah. more of a fair fight, but it's like 50 to 1 instead of 1,000 to 1. Sure. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, in the books, the wildlings, as I talked about in this episode, they use siege uh, turtles and uh, things to protect them while they're sapping the gates and the walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they still get crushed by the ice-filled barrels and the flaming barrels. So I don't know. I think it would be neat to at least show that they thought about maybe the yeah, protection. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's no giant scythe, and no wildlings try to climb the wall because it's stupid. Yep. Although cool looking. Cool looking. 
And in the battle, uh, the books, the um, John doesn't go out to meet Mance of his own free will. Uh, he's actually ordered to by Sir Alistair and ah, to, to go bastard. out there and, and uh, take Longclaw and betray him. Uh, final season finale, 410 The Children, and then we'll get to some feedback. When John met with Mance, he had, I already talked about this, he had his long claw and was prepared to use it when Stannis attacked. In the books, Mance doesn't easily surrender. He's at, captured by force. I thought it's a more noble to have Mance, like, genuinely care about his people. Hmm. Okay. What do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. His goal was a little muddy to me the entire time. So, like, and I know now, you know, he's just looking to get south of the wall, preserve uh-huh. his people. Um so it kind of lines up more with his goals. Uh, he just wants to get south of the wall, let us go. We don't we really want a war. We just want to live. I like it. I think Shim, I think he's the one that's in it. He'll be pleased to note that in the books, the battle outside is a little bit longer, that there are giants and mammoths that hold off the initial cavalry charges. Yeah, but yeah. they're later encircled and destroyed. So, you know, it'd be cool to see. It would be cool to see mounted knights charging against mammoths and giants yeah, absolutely but they shot their wad in the previous episode what are you gonna do <laughs> uh cersei never sees sir gregor being treated in the books uh but it's related information and gregor is not they make it a point in the books that for some reason gregor is in constant pain maybe because of complications from him growing so fast or being so huge but he drinks mm-hmm. milk of the poppy like most men drink beer huh. and it's a point that the maesters are like we can't knock this guy out we're giving him as enough to kill a man yeah and he's still screaming and there's this plot point where you can just hear his screams all through the red keep and cersei has Jesus. him moved down to the dungeons so they don't he doesn't bother anyone <laughs> get him out of here yeah because cersei's a nice person uh brandon and hound never meet in the books uh instead she meets an outlaw who's picked up the hound's helmet after he quote unquote dies, and it's way too big for him. It's just bobbling yeah, it's around bobbling on his like head. A big bobblehead, and they, she duels him instead. I can't see anything. It's spun around. <laughs> uh, Cersei never uh, spills the beans to Tywin about their incestuous relationship. Neither, neither does she threaten to go public with that information. Huh. That was a pretty big deal in this season. And it's one of those changes where it seems momentous until you realize that Tywin's dead at the end. Sure. It doesn't really matter. Absolutely. But I kind of did like Tywin being defied successfully by one of his children. By all of his children By at all the of end. his children, I sure. mean, one of them kills him. The other releases the guy who kills him. Yeah, it's so irony <laughs> that his legacy and his family was the thing that's important, and that's yeah. the thing that led literally to his downfall. Sweet. Very sweet. Uh, Jojen doesn't die in the books. Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, not me, not you. In the books, uh, so this is a little spoilery too, but I don't, I don't know. You tell me. We could edit it out if we have to. In the books, the three-eyed crow is badass. Okay. He's this withered, hundreds-year-old dude with tree roots growing through him. He's got a oh, tree root shit. growing out of his eye. He's barely alive. Like, Do you know anything about Warhammer 40K canon? Uh, the bare minimum. Like, the Emperor of Man is, yeah, like, yeah. thousands of years old, and he's kept alive on this golden throne. He's this desiccated corpse. And he uses the souls of the people he kills he's, or whatever he, to He's a lot him. like that, only instead of this golden throne, he's it's the trees. And it's okay. just so fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Me and the other book readers are like, 
this guy <laughs> we got pay may from kill bill i i that's the one thing i found outrageous like that's just you bring in greg nicotero for yeah. an afternoon and you're done yep you're done uh, that's, I feel or, like that's or, a missed opportunity. Or leave him in shadows because it's not like uh, we got to get, and then next year go bon- Gonzo with his makeup. I can't believe they didn't make him that cool. That's kind of shitty. Yeah. Super shitty. <laughs> anyway, again, I feel like there's no way they can bring him back next year and have him looking that way, right? No. No, they, they've got to keep him roughly the same. Although, who who knows? They recast the mountain three times, so... That's true. Yeah. So, I, that's why it might be a spoiler because you might... This might be... You know, they might do him up right next year. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying that I was pretty pissed about the lack of fidelity to his appearance. Maybe they, they're they going to take him mobile. Plus, it's like... Maybe he's going to be out in a backpack on Hodor's back like it, Yoda. It doesn't make any sense when he says, I've been watching you, Bran, with a thousand eyes and one. You have two <laughs> fucking eyes, old man. Yep. It makes sense when you got a freaky deaky vine growing at one eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> with a thousand eyes and two. Four <laughs> if you count my glasses. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, in the books... Uh, we've already talked about this. In the books, Jamie and Tyrion really only meet for the first time uh, when he's freeing Tyrion. Oh, okay. And there's a lot more to it that I'm not going to get into. Um, in fact, I'm not going to get into any of the difference between the books because that might actually be a minor spoiler for next season. All right. Uh, in the books, Tyrion kills Tywin with a single crossbolt to the pelvis, which causes his bowels to loosen. <laughs> South Park Just helping style. him out. Uh, which then uh, Tyrion Riley observes that uh, Tywin Lannister did not, in fact, shit gold. <laughs> Seriously, that's the, the book went with a poop joke for the death of Tywin. Nice. You like that? Do you like? Do you like the poop joke? Did they need the poop joke? They didn't need the poop joke. I think it worked <laughs> perfectly fine, as is. Uh, yeah, no poop joke necessary. Uh, the whereabouts of Varys are unknown in the book. Oh shit. After his treachery at King's Landing. Okay. I'm curious what he does after this. Me too. Does he get on that boat and go with Tyrion? Does he, he stay around? He gets on King's the boat. Landing? Does he stay in the boat? Does he pull a shay? Does he wind up know. in Tywin's quarters? <laughs> Where is this going to go? Huh. Uh in the books, the chaining process was a lot more difficult. Um she had to like the one was easy enough, but then the second when she goes to lead him down to the catacombs, he can hear his brother screaming and he's like, fuck this shit. And it ends huh. up killing like six, six unsullied to try to Jesus. net him up and down there. And Drogon, Drogon's sleeping in the great pyramid and he sees all this and uh, they actually go to try to take him and he, he bounces. Just, he, he kills a bunch of them and takes off. Huh. So it feels, cause you had a problem. It's like, Dane's completely lost control of her dragons yeah, yeah. in the books. It's more like, She's aware that they're out hunting in the countryside. She doesn't think much of it until a dead child comes up, and then she tries to retroactively put the genie in the bottle, and the dragons are like, fuck this shit. If they had just it's showed... much more betrayal, I guess. If they had just showed Drogon sleeping in his lair, like once throughout the season, I would have understood, okay, they're kind of close by, you know, and they yeah. go out and they do their thing, kill some goats. It wasn't like, it's 10 o'clock, Danny. Do you know where your dragons are? It wasn't <laughs> like a public service announcement, yeah. But in in the series, it just seems like they're who knows where. Yeah. No, so that's a little bit less less effective, I think. Yeah. That's the big differences. 
Okay. Uh, we got some feedback, and then I've got some spoiler stuff to talk about, which we'll dismiss you for, but we've got quite a bit of feedback. Bring it on. As well. Before we get to feedback, we gotta we got to pay the bills, right, Jim? Yeah. And I very much appreciate everyone responding to our calls for feed for uh itunes support for amazon support for subbable i'm gonna make one last attempt for our game of thrones audience you know jim and i do this if you enjoyed our expanded coverage if you've enjoyed our spoiler takes um the only reason we're able to do these is because we made the choice in 2014 to make a leap of faith to do this as a full-time basis and the reason we've been able to do that is not just because of the support of the fine folks at Hover. But also, mostly, the vast majority is direct listener support. Mm-hmm. The way to do that this year is subbable.com slash baldmove. It's a voluntary subscription site. You can sign up and pledge us money. And I'll tell you what, I know no one's ever going to do this because if everyone gave a dollar per month, we yeah, would yeah. be uh, smoking $100 cigars and on a yacht, <laughs> and we'd probably make off with a big bag of money after one season, and you'd destroy the whole thing. Sure. So it's probably not a good idea for everyone to give a dollar per month, mm-hmm. but how, how, I just want you guys to know that Sally Struthers-esque, for less than a cup of coffee, you could keep these two podcasters in gin and scotch and whiskey and making podcasts for a long time to come. And don't think that that's like, oh, that's a bullshit amount because it would be huge if, if people mm-hmm. did that. And the cool thing is not only do you get our podcasts by supporting us and also, spoiler alert, you get it even if you don't. But <laughs> what you do get is you can bank up every dollar that you save, every fiber that you send us. You can bank that up for uh, exclusive Bald Move memorabilia and merchandise. You can get custom shout-outs. Uh, you can do podcast dedications. You know, your favorite episode of Breaking Bad, you can shout out your sweetie. It'll be there forever in our archive on that long tail. We get three to 5,000 people listening to our back catalogs every <laughs> fucking day. Can you fucking believe it? Yeah. So there's a long tail there and lots of value. You can c- custom commission podcasts. Go to subbable.com slash move to find out all the things you can do and all the rewards that you get for your investment in, in us personally. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the individuals that have done that. Uh, also, if you don't want to directly contribute us, uh, if you're using Amazon, amazon.ballmove.com. You type that before you go to Amazon. Everything in your cart that you purchase on that session, we get a tiny cut of. And it adds up when thousands and thousands of fans do it to something special, and we appreciate everybody. People say, Aaron, how do we do that on our smartphones? Uh, there's a trick where you can use the Amazon the app, which you can't use affiliate links for. You just use the Amazon.com app. You put everything in your cart. Then you go to your mobile phone browser. Go to Amazon.BaldMove.com. Boom, your cart's there. You just have to do the one-click checkout, so you get the best of both worlds. You can support us and still use the app. Hmm. Just a little tip for those of you that want to do that. And if you can't do any of that stuff, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's how we collect more listeners. It's how we stay relevant in the What's Hot list. Uh, which we've been dominating this season. Um, it's no accident that we've grown so much. And that's all due to your guys' and you're sharing our stuff on Facebook and Twitter and telling our friends and coworkers or family about us. Please continue to do that. Send them the bald move. Uh, we'll know what to do with them. Also, it doesn't have to end here, y'all. We've got uh, full coverage of Fargo, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. We've got coverage of 24, the Jack Bauer Power Hour. It's insane. It's a little <laughs> bit more lighthearted than our standard take. 
We've got a ridiculous True Blood podcast I'm doing with my girlfriend that's coming out this week. Uh, I got an Orange is the New uh, blog, Orange is the New podcast, (laughs) rather. Orange is the New Black podcast that I've got a rotating list of all-star female podcasters helping me out on. We've got a TV podcast. We're talking about Halt and Catch Fire and a bunch of new summer stuff like The Strain. Fallen Skies just dropped. Fallen Skies started there. We've got so (laughs) much content on BallMove.com to choke a donkey. Don't think that this is it until next year. It's only that if you got no interest in any good television, period. Because sure. we're covering a shitload of it. Go to ballmove.com and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy or floats your boat. And that's it. I think had a little expanded pimping section for a little expanded podcast. Let's get into feedback. Sounds good. Chris K said, I think Arya did have a little love for the Hound. On the whole, this season has pushed the notion of Arya becoming a cold, distant, and quite frankly, deadly killer. She has no problem killing. Uh, they've displayed this in the show even more than in the books at this stage in the story. I think she couldn't do it, though. She knew if she left him that his blood wouldn't be on her hands. She promised herself every night for over a year that she would kill Sandor, the hound. Yet when given the mm-hmm. chance, even while he begged for her, she couldn't bring herself to kill him. In the books, I always thought that's why she didn't finish him, and the show has given me more reason to hold on to my belief that while this poor little girl that we've been following since childhood isn't yet completely void of feelings or conscience. Chris is basically saying she's splitting the difference between her code of justice, which demands she kill her, yeah. versus her affection for the Hound. So leaving him to die on his own is kind of like the middle ground. Sure, I could buy that. I like that take. Yeah. It's kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi shitty move because it's like, uh, I'm leaving you to die in agony, Anakin. A legless freak slowly burning out of lava. But don't forget... You're the asshole. <laughs> but on the other hand, he's not shedding the blood of his friend. So, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I like that. NL said, uh oh, you're, you're about to get taken to task Psh, for your Sansa hate. Like I'm worried. <laughs> NL <laughs> says, I am disappointed in your low opinion of Sansa. She lumps me in this too. Oh, you get, you deserve it because I get lumped into your shit all the time. What shit? God, I can't believe you guys hated this episode so much. I didn't. It was Aaron. <laughs> no, bullshit. Are you, talking, are you talking about a game? Are you talking about uh, watching Dead? Uh, that. That's oh, yeah, I do uh, get you in trouble on Breaking Bad, too. You get me in trouble on a lot of shows. All right, fine. We're <laughs> even? We're even now, yeah. She's disappointed in your low opinion of Sansa Stark. You both seem to be on the side of taking an objective view of a character and on the side of feminism, but I continually hear that up until the end of season four, especially Jim found her boring and, quote-unquote, not a real character. For me, Sansa is one of the most compelling, realistic portrayals of a female character in a hugely patriarchal society. While it may be more fun to root for okay. Brienne, Arya, Asha slash Yara, Egret, or Danny, they are all functioning more or less as men in this Westerosi man's world. Sansa is one of the few female characters we see who enjoys being feminine, and it pains me to see her being written off as uninteresting simply because she isn't rampaging around leaving death in a wake. Ah, I take issue. Okay. Wait. Jim has complained that Sansa hasn't really, quote-unquote, done anything. But have you forgotten the rules of the game of the Thrones? You win or you die, and Sansa has not died yet. Remember, (laughs) she is raised to be a noble lady. Because she hasn't played. She's raised to be a noble lady, and as the oldest daughter in one of the most important noble houses, she was in training as much as any squire, and she excelled in it. On first meeting, she even impressed Cersei and managed to convince the conniving queen that she would be a good match for her perfect son and heir to the throne. She was a child when she was brought to King's Landing, and while she did, did betray her father, she was trying to do the right thing. When she realized her mistake, she did everything she could to win mercy for her father, but her betrothed shocked everyone with his vicious stupidity. 
by beheading the House of Stark anyway. Mm -hmm. And where did that leave Sansa? She was left completely alone in a nest of enemies engaged to a sadistic psychopath who had irrationally beheaded her father right in front of her. Mm -hmm. What was she supposed to quote-unquote do? It's always much too easy to blame the victim of an abusive relationship for her situation and forget the extreme power imbalance in with when, within which she is caught. She's under a constant... Whoa, whoa, I'm not blaming her well, for anything. I, not... All well, right. She's All under right. constant threat of sexual assault to the point where she had a panic attack when her moon's blood arrived, not mm -hmm. only from Joffrey, but from the Hound as well. Considering all the opportunities for rape, grievous injury, or death where, uh, that were serious daily realities for Sansa, I see her uninjured survival as borderline miraculous. Even when she finally finds, quote-unquote, safety in the view, her last known living relative tries to throw her to her death because she was the victim of Littlefinger's unwanted sexual assault. Now she's become Littlefinger's captive and protege as Westeros is no longer capable of supporting any woman who's not a deadly threat. When the dust settles one day and peace inevitably returns, where will the ladies be? The good and kind wives and mothers. Sansa's arc is one of the most tragic because it signifies the loss of the kind of world that people like Ned and Oberyn and even Cersei would want their daughters to grow up in. What parent has a daughter that hopes that she'll grow up to be like a, a sociopath assassin like Arya or a conniving sexual manipulator like Marjorie? Even if we as readers like them as characters, boom drops the mic. <laughs> Jim, your response. Okay, so let me first say I agree with a lot of what she says there. Part of the hazard of doing a two and a half hour podcast every single week on a show is that you have to find different language to describe sure. the same things kind of over and over again. Yes. So maybe I misspoke when I said that she isn't a real character. Mm -hmm. I certainly think that she, you know, she's a, she's a compelling character um, for all the reasons she mentions, just being a woman in this situation. It's a very difficult thing to do. She's put in a horrible situation and survives and survives miraculously. Like she said, I, what I mean is she's not doing anything toward getting out of this situation. She, I, and I realize she's pinned down, right? right. Certainly, there are way more powerful people working against her here. Right. And if she tries to make a move, she may die. Like you said, you play the Game of Thrones or you die. Mm -hmm. She's not playing the game. Whereas you take a woman like Marjorie, mm -hmm. who I feel is playing the exact role of a woman in this universe, mm -hmm. like she's saying that Sansa should and is, but she's doing things. She's actively working on this Game of Thrones. Right. So I feel like the character of Sansa... Is, is just not doing as much toward a goal that the, the viewers care about as like a Marjorie or Elena or people like that. I do think Anne's point where that's kind of fucked up that Arya, who's the murderous psycho, and Marjorie, sure. who's this sexual manipulator, are the ones we're like, yeah, they're interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the same argument like Walter White. If he was just a meek science teacher that accepted his death uh, with the shitty American uh -huh. you know, medical insurance well, industry. Six months and I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be interesting. And that would actually be an, uh, that would be a different type of story. It'd be the tragedy of uh, you know, politics and, and healthcare and insurance and money in America. It's, it wouldn't be little... the badass dead man trying to amass a fortune for his family getting sure. caught up in it so, yeah. yeah it's like but it's a little more forgivable in this scenario where there are a thousand characters already doing that i guess certainly um so she doesn't necessarily need to be a marjorie right or an elena maybe maybe 
Uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't catch the emailer's name here. Anne. Anne. Maybe Anne is right. Um, I need to cut her a little more slack. I just feel like she did some stuff in season one. Then she kind of just took a break because of her situation. And now we're getting back to where she's freed up again. And she can actually turn into a character who takes action. Yeah, and then I just feel like that's... I think Anne's point is well taken. And it's interesting in a sociological standpoint. But on sure. the other hand... Just like we as viewers find, um, shit, Theon, a, a grating when he's just abused and abused and abused with yeah, no yeah. outlet. It's like, my God, Sans is kind of like a slightly, slightly lower intensity Theon fuckover that lasts three seasons. <laughs> it lasts three times long, yeah. And I, I, so it's like, I don't feel like you can feel bad for saying that that is hard to watch or not as interesting as the other stuff. It's yes, it's it's to the extent that that's fucked up about our pop culture. Yeah. It is fucked up about our pop culture. So, yeah. And, and but I, mean, I don't, but it's also not, I also don't think you should feel bad for falling into that quote unquote trap. Sure. And I, I don't want to take total credit away from the character of Sansa or the actress who plays her. I think she did a hell of a job, even in like seasons one and two where she was actively fighting for her father. She was trying to resist Joffrey as much as she could. Yeah. But then once she gets pinned down, it's just like, Ugh, I've seen episode after episode after episode of her being walked all over. Right. Is that really what I want to see for another whole season? Devin from Maine said, while reading the books and watching the show, I always suspected Shay was an agent for Tywin. This would explain why she never took the threats at court seriously and why she was always trying to get more information out of Tyrion. For me, this theory was reinforced by Littlefinger's monologue from season one, where he explains to Ned that every set of eyes and ears at court are feeding information to one or the other of the major players. When one considers the facts that Tywin was an expert political operator and never gave Tyrion any power before naming him substitute hand, it makes sense that Tywin would find a way to monitor Tyrion while at court using his weakness for women. This has some darker implications that maybe Tywin uh... also turned brawn at, yeah. at an early earlier <laughs> point. This is super interesting because I feel like there are a lot of there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to say that Tywin may have had a hand in Joffrey's death and framing Tyrion. Unfortunately, they just lay it out that Littlefinger did it. Yeah. Um and, and you said that it was much more of a mystery, right? Throughout the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, you eventually to the extent that where when Littlefinger first laid it out, I'm like, nah, he's bragging. No, <laughs> no fucking way. Like, my blew yeah. my mind such that I immediately said that this is just Littlefinger shining on the... Sansa, yeah. Yeah. I, I since now feel like that's, no, straight up legit, that arguably yeah. everything that's happened has been the work of Littlefinger creating his chaos ladder that he can climb, yeah. which is fucked up. But yeah, so... There's some circumstantial stuff with with Tywin because, I mean, he hates Tyrion. Yeah. Um, Doesn't trust Tyrion. Setting up Oberyn to kind of take a fall later on felt a little a little Tywin-y. I don't know. And maybe Tywin, somewhere in the pit of his belly, was worried that Tyrion would be such a good hand and so beloved of the small folks that he would have a hard time displacing him. Maybe. So he's like, I'll send, you know, I'll send this whore with him to be like this self-destruct device. I told him not to bring a whore to court. This will cause him to <laughs> behave irrationally, and this will be his undoing. I don't know. I buy all that, but I don't have any direct. Con- I think if you buy what Littlefinger says, you can't. 
buy sure. any of that. Sure. So uh, Rodney says, compared to previous seasons, the beginning of this season, King's Landing is really lacking compelling characters. We've lost Tywin, Varys, Olenna, Oberyn, Joffrey, mm-hmm. Littlefinger, and of course Tyrion. Some not obviously to death, but they're just not a player at King's Landing. Yeah. I don't think, honestly, that Cersei and Marjorie will be able to carry the drama. Jim, is he right to be concerned that King's Landing is going to be a dull, dull place next year? With an undead mountain walking around? Fuck that. It's going to be more action-packed than ever. All right. Mild <laughs> interesting. I'm, hing- I'm hedging my bets on that uh, undead mountain. I'm not sure that's what's going to happen, but it'd be nice. Uh, friend of the show, Willis, says this is a little bit of a step back. Um, wait a second. Uh, there's Take a, a super, step back. Sorry, I poor edit here. There's a super interesting dynamic revealed with Mance and John's bromant. You mentioned there was some level of difficulty with some regarding killing Mance, bringing an end to the Wildling Alliance, and also mentioned that it's odd there was such so much exposition about the heritage of the giants. My take on that is that this is what gives us direct insult, insight on the why killing Mance would break down the group. What makes him different from the other quote-unquote leaders north of the walls is background in the south, what seems to have given him the insight needed to unite these tribes. History and legacy are things that resonate deeply with humans and humanoids, but if the tribes of the North were so haphazard about that knowledge as it seems, perhaps out of a need for survival, then the deep knowledge he seems to have of the legacy of each tribe could be a powerful leverage in making these groups click as a single force. Add that to the White Walker threat, and you have a recipe for creating a unified front through respect and mutual uh, mutual enemy. I feel like there's subtlety here, and maybe I'm full of shit, but the difference between Mance's demeanor and that of the wildlings at large seems like the linchpin in, in his ability to lead them all as a group. He seems very genuine as a protector of life, which is hard to find in almost any character we've met. He further shows his respect for all that he, uh, for all as he toasts both his warrior and his enemy that fell fighting each other. That's yet another sign of his deep respect for life and a difference from his wild buddies as he honors its loss on both sides of the battlefield. Let's take that first point. What do you think of there? That Mance takes the Southron respect for heritage and titles north to forge an alliance amongst these wildling tribes. Oh, boy. Um, I think this... I don't know anything about the history. It's a trouble. I mean, I know he he kind of lays it out, so I'll take his word for all that. Neither is Will. He's not a book reader, so don't, oh, don't be okay. shy. This is just speculation. Um, if, th- if that's the case, they certainly don't even imply any of that in the show, right? Um, what do you mean? No, this is all I mean, kind of no, subtext. Th- I guess. Yeah, there's no reason other than getting his people south of the wall, and I need a big fucking army to do that. Uh huh. For him to unite these clans, right? In the show now. I think it's it's a nice addition to his character if he is kind of noble and respects life and respects uh, kind of lineage and history a little bit more than the other peoples. And that gives him some kind of insight into how to lead them, certainly. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. But I, I, it's not shown to me, so who knows? Sure. Uh, that's it for the feedback we have. We've got some okay. spoiler stuff that it's, you know, some more overt spoilers and some stuff about the uh, tinfoil segment that I've had running. But you're not privy to that. It's not nope. for you, Jim, or for any of the other non-book readers. We'll consider it after our wall of music. Uh, just want to tell everybody, thanks for listening. 
Yeah. It's been an incredible season. This has it's all the the amount of traffic we're getting on this podcast is fucking incredible. Like <laughs> yeah. we were expecting to double our stats from last season. Mm-hmm. We've almost tripled our stats. And the week over week growth has been just staggering. And it's because you people are telling others about us. It's because you're rating reviews on iTunes. It's because I mean you know, I'm an active Redditor. I don't actually post much, but I read almost everything. And it always warms my heart to see you whenever a thread is asked about what you know podcasts you enjoy. We always get mentioned. All that kind of stuff helps us grow the community, helps support Jim and I. And can't thank you enough for listening and for everything you guys do, all the feedback you send us. That's Honestly, that's super important because uh, when I started this season, I didn't know – Hardly anything. And I think it showed uh, about the world, about the characters. I was just following it as a viewer, uh, just having fun with the series. Sure. And it's given me a, a much deeper appreciation for the series as a whole, the characters in it, the world that's being built, that our listeners write in and tell us about. And, sure. and writers like Anne who call, who call in, write in and call me on my bullshit uh, and kind of set me straight on some of the stuff. I think that helps a lot. Uh you know, I don't want everybody to jump on that bandwagon and start <laughs> <laughs> start fricasseeing me. Uh, but yeah, I I appreciate all the feedback that comes in because it helps me understand this series a lot more. It's a huge world. That's what people don't know is how hard it is to the the feedback. As you can imagine, I had way more feedback than I could use last year. Oh hell on yeah. a on a cast by cast basis, and now we got three times the traffic, three times the feedback. Yeah. It really sometimes hurts that I have to cut like Anne. Anne had twice as much stuff and a lot more supporting argument, but I just couldn't afford to read it all. Same thing, Will. He had a couple other good points. Yeah. Lots of people same way. I have to take bits and pieces, and some you know when you're the tenth person that said a really awesome thing, <laughs> you got to get cut. Sorry, you get cut because someone beat you to it by maybe an hour or two, and yeah. um. You know, that's the one bad thing about getting big is that you lose the ability to respond to everything and even read everything. Um, but I do appreciate uh, hearing from everyone and seeing everybody's unique flavor, and it definitely makes it a stronger yeah. cast. And uh, I think that's about all I want to say about that. Okay. But truly, we are we're we're grateful for the community and the support you've given us. Absolutely. That's it. We're going to sign off for the last time until next spring. Uh, again, if you're an adventuresome show watcher or your book reader, you're welcome to stay behind the wall of music to get into our spoiler section. But until next spring, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See winter, you then. Winter will come and then leave, and it'll be spring, and we'll have a new season. Awkward transition out. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Follow to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies and time slips by. Follow my rulers, all men must die. All right, everybody. We're safe in the spoiler section. Everything I said before about my gratefulness to an audience goes double for you people that have been listening to me trying to carry a podcast by myself with no co-host. It is extremely challenging, and I appreciate so much all the positive feedback and how much people have enjoyed the tinfoil section. That's been a lot, a lot of work. I put a lot of time into researching that and getting my notes and... um, 
having it down enough that I can explain it in a logical manner. And it feels really good to hear people like get, get really jazzed about. It seems like the biggest hits were the Roos Bolton, uh, the Bolt on, the Roos's Loose theory, and also the High Septon. The High Septon equals Howland Reed theory. Very well received, too. And it means a lot when you guys write in and say, I did a good job and that you've enjoyed it and it keeps you motivated. Uh, and I also don't have a lot of book reader friends personally. And it's a nice outlet to be able to talk and share enthusiasms and our fears and our hopes and dreams for the series and kind of piece together information. So I am proud of the book reader population that we cultivated here on Bald Move. And I've really enjoyed the segment. And without further bullshit, let's uh, get this last one under our belts. Dan M has some casting news for us. They've already talked. I think these are open casting calls. This is not the actual actors who will be appearing. This is the ones that they're actually casting for. And you want us to talk about maybe what impact they'll have. They're casting Doran Martell, which is Oberyn's older brother. They mentioned he's kind of sickly. He has the gout. He hasn't left Doran for a while. Tristan Martell, which is his son. Ario Hota, which is the captain of Doran's bodyguard, and he's a kind of a badass POV character in the book. I like him a lot. Uh, they're specifically casting a black actor for the role, which I think is really cool. Obara, Nemeria, uh, Tynia, Sand. These are the bastard daughters, a.k.a. the Sand Snakes. Apparently, Obara will have a major fight with a character that she does not encounter in the books. That is very interesting. They're casting the High Sparrow and Septon Ulna, or Anella. Very interested to see how that plays out, if he's Howlin' Reedy looking, if he's a little Cranaganish. Uh, very interested to see how far they get with Cersei's plot, whether they'll, you know, is, is this going to be a Episode 9, Her Walk of Shame kind of moment, uh, which will leave us in a really nice position for the Winds of Winter stuff to begin in earnest the following season. Maggie the Frog! In a one-episode uh, call-in, probably going to be a flashback to Cersei's. means we're probably going to get the Valonqar, uh, uh plot in place, which we had a tinfoil section on the possible meanings behind Valonqar. Lala Stockworth, Stokeworth, rather, who's Bronze wife in the books, and uh, she's more slightly more prominent. I mean, we've actually met her in the in the books, haven't so much on the show. Does that mean that we're going to get more of Braun? Is it possible that Braun continues his role as Ilan Payne replacement as Jamie goes forth to bring the Riverlands uh, to the King's Peace? I think that would be cool. And it would be cool to see uh, Lawless and to see a little bit of Braun's relationship or lack thereof with her. Finally, Princess Marcella has been is going to be recast. Uh, from the little girl that we saw weeping as she's uh, boated away to Dorne. So probably going to get uh, the Dark Star plot, uh, probably going to get the attempted throne, uh, crowning of her in Dorne. Really interesting stuff. And I feel that maybe the producers, from what I can tell, are gearing up more to end this about where Dance and uh, Feast ended. Maybe a little bit more new material from... The Winds of Winter, but nothing I see here is conclusively saying that they're going to start spoiling the books, even if uh, it takes George R. R. Martin another year to get this stuff out. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Dan Snow says, I love all the casts. Heard you mention about a possible prequel season. 
uh, I was dismissive about the possibility of a prequel season, but we did mention it. He says, I first I thought it'd be pretty stupid, but on second thought they could use it just before the last season and have some pretty big reveals that would set up the final alliances and battles. Thinking about the possibilities for that. You could add Attorney of Harrenhal, Trial by Combat, Slash Death of Rickard and Brandon Stark, the great battle between Robert and Rhaegard at the Trigant, the murder of Elia Martell and her children, also featuring the smuggling of the real Aegon Targaryen by John Connington, quote-unquote uh, around the real, please. They could even show secret packs between the Martells and the Targaryens to eventually overthrow the Lannisters. We could see the origin of Littlefinger and the Tully girls and Brandon Stark, their relationship, Varys and Ilya, and uh, uh, Ilios, uh rise to power in the slums of Bravos, uh, Illyria, rather. The season could end with the revenge of the Sith-like secret transferring of babies to be heroes, Jon Snow, Daenerys, and Aegon Targaryen. Yeah, <clears throat> the thing, Dan, is that is all very interesting, and that would be very compelling from a series standpoint <clears throat> and arguably could help usher in maybe some later reveals that are featured in books. I just cannot see HBO saying we are going to shut this production down and we're going to let Macy and Isaac and Sophie get another year older. And we're going to try to keep this whole band together while we go off and tell this other story. The only possible reason because none of this stuff, I mean, th there's not enough material. I mean, I, I know there's enough material, but there's not, there's not, no long digressions about all this stuff in the books to warrant a whole season. And the only reason they do that is to give Germ, to give George Martin a longer chance to write the concluding books. And I don't see HBO as that charitable an enterprise. I don't think they care about his legacy and allowing him to finish the books in his time. If they did, I don't think they'd be making as much, or the Double Ds wouldn't be making as much of the fact that they've got the last little bit of details from George R. R. Martin that they'd need to tell the story. So at this point, I'm more worried about George just not dying and finishing it. I mean, that would be the really horrific thing. I think he's going to have the winds of winter. I'm one of the few naive fools that thinks he'll have the winds of winter out before this starts back up or maybe concurrently with it starting back up next season by the end of the season, for sure before the season six for definitely. But you know, can he get a dream of spring out? He's now talking about a potential eighth book. I, I I'm very nervous uh, about how long it's taking him versus how much material. And what I think the only thing I think would really bother me, it'd be one thing if, the Double Ds have a Cliff Notes version of the books that they then make a series off of, and we later get the full story. It would really bother me if we have a Robert Jordan situation where Martin just dies with one book to complete, and they have to bring in a ghost author or a shadow author or someone to come in and and do the definitive take. I just don't. I that that would really bother me as a book reader and as even a show of the fan or as a fan of the show rather. Moving on, the Joffrey said they may try and get most of a Dance of Dragons in next season. I think that's a safe bet. I'm not a book reader, but I was spoiled on the Lady Stoneheart part. I don't expect to see her at the start of the season, as you said in last episode. I think that they're going to swing this into a Mother's Day thing. Ha! That will put us four or five episodes into the new season. What do you think? I think that's brilliant, Joffrey. I think that. I don't think it was intentional that Tywin was killed on Father's Day. But if they do have Lady Stoneheart appearing on Mother's Day, 
I'll start to give that theory a little bit more credence. That would be some awesome cross-promotional fuckery by the Double Ds. And <clears throat> I got a couple of people saying that they don't think the Lady Stone Stoneheart is going to be in, that they're afraid that the Double Ds are going to flush it down the toilet. If you listen to my podcast last week, you already know that I don't believe this, but I just want to reiterate, I don't believe in any universe that Lady Stoneheart is not going to be featured prominently going forward. I mean, it'd be one thing if I had a copy of The Winds of Winter and I read that and she is a very minor character. If she's a minor character in The Winds of Winter and none of the more elaborate Grand Northern conspiracy stuff <clears throat> involving the Riverlands comes to fruition, then maybe. But as it is, I think there's too much cool stuff. Where would Brienne's storyline be going? What's the impetus to have her back with Jamie? What is, what is her and Jamie's story the rest of the series? Lady Stoneheart is the catalyst for all that. And it has to be something like that. And someone said, well, you know, it's disrespectful to the character of, of Catelyn. It's hokey. It's cliche. I don't buy any of that bullshit. Uh, why foreshadow Beric Dondarrion's coming back from the dead with the Lord of Light's powers, if not to use it with Lady Stoneheart? I don't think it's disrespectful to the character of Catelyn Stark. I think it's exactly the character Catelyn Stark would be if she came back to life after the Red Wedding and wanted revenge on all the Freys and Lannisters and Boltons that she could find. I think it's extreme. Like, people are like, oh, Lady Stoneheart, she's so vengeful. It's not bullshit. Cat Stark's got a mean streak a mile long. Look how she viewed Jon Snow. His only sin was that he was a bastard of Ed. You murder her firstborn and all of her children? Uh, in her mind, you... No, I don't think that she is exceptionally brutal or cold by Cat Stark standards at all. Again, that's just my opinion. Nathan P. says, One thing that struck me after finishing the season was the lack of Yara Greyjoy in the entire season. At the end of season three, one of the main things that people were looking forward to was Yara's fight for her brother and against the Boltons, but this only amounted to around ten minutes of combat in the season. Considering that she'll be a crucial player in the Kingsmoot storyline, giving her own claim to the throne, it surprises me that showrunners don't give us more reasons to support her. Also, the best way to introduce new characters is to take people we already know and have grown to like and then move them into the new group of people, i.e. Theon with his father and Yara, Catelyn Stark with the Baratheons, Jon and the Wildlings, yet they miss this chance with Yara. The showrunners could have really had Yara prove herself this season as having a real claim as leader of the Ironborn and Greyjoys, and gather a fan base or rallying point with the audience. Instead, after all the hype and the grand attitude from her mission last season, we were given 10 minutes of filler action, which ended her defeat and abandonment of her original quest. I agree that is some weak sauce. On the other hand, the Double Ds were kind of in a bind, because the time is not right for her to swing back into action, and she has very little to do between you know, leaving the North and the, and the King's moot. So you could argue that should have just left her and not have her do anything with uh, Theon. I do feel like that speech she gave where she roused the Ironborn kind of gives her leadership bona fides. But no, I, I, it is a problem, and I'm curious to see how they do it. And I've been a longtime proponent of the theory that the King's moot's is not going to happen. I'm really paying attention to the casting news to see. I feel like if we get one new uh, uh, Ironborn Islander casted, if we get a Victorian and that's it, then they probably won't do the King's Moot. And then I don't know what the hell they're going to do with Yara slash Asha. If we see Urine and, and Victorian both, then I feel the King's Moot is a go and 
we probably will have a traditional kind of role for her to play going forward. And they'll just have to hope that they can make her awesome and those scenes compelling enough that the showrunner, the show people will give a damn about it. We'll see. I'm coming around on the Kingsmoot thing, though. I feel like I had no idea they were going to pull so much dance and feast material into this season. And they've done so, you know, if, if I thought that next season was going to be all feast and the season after that was going to be all dance, or maybe they're going to do one combined season, feast, dance, eh, it doesn't seem like you got room for the Kingsmoot. You pull in a good amount of feast and dance into this season, suddenly that you got room for the Kingsmoot. So we'll have to see how that goes. Sean from Kansas says, I love the Howlin' Reed equals high septum theory. I've always thought it's strange that we haven't seen Howlin' Reed do much yet other than send his children to help Bran, of course, or even meet him. Having him operating King's Landing makes more sense than having him pop up at the neck or out of the neck in book six or seven just to say, hey, everyone, R plus L equals J. To take the theory just a little further, what if the sparrows that came with him to King's Landing are 90% or more Kranigmen? It's unclear how many men Howlin' Reed has, at his command, but they were absent from the War of the Five Kings. What if he basically walked his army right into King's Landing and then tricked Cersei into letting him arm them as the poor fellows and the warrior sons? That is an amazing theory, and I love everything about it. And it would not surprise... I kind of... I've added it to my tinfoil headcanon that not only is a high sept in Howland Reed, but a good percentage of the Sparrows are Kranigan that he has... Uh, bolstered with other poor, downtrodden, faithful of the seven. Now, I I love that theory, and I appreciate you sending it in, uh, and I am hyped about it. Thank you for that, Sean. Reed from Vancouver says, I did some Reed-related reading to further explore the theory, and I found some interesting stuff around Mira Reed. Uh, I alluded to this last week, the R plus L equals J plus M. Mira possibly being John's twin sister, Alea to his Luke. It makes sense that the two survivors from the Tower of Joy would each take a child and raise them as their own and protect them. I think the evidence in the book for this is shaky, but it is a very interesting idea, and in a way it addresses the principal issue people seem to raise with the R plus L equals J theory, the fact that it's too obvious. Maybe Germ added an extra layer of holy shit to the theory once he expanded the series from a trilogy to a heptology or an octology now and realized he added too much foreshadowing for something that wasn't going to pay off for quite a while. The thing I like most about this idea, what are the colors of Danny's dragons? Black, Drogon, green, Rhaegar, or Rhaegal, and white, Viserion. Jon Snow and his albino direwolf seemed to be like a good fit for Viserion, and Mira would make a good fit for the green, Rhaegal. As for Drogon's rider, everyone is assuming it will be Danny, but what if she is not one of the three riders? Wasn't a prophecy for Rhaegar's children? Rhaenerys is dead, but Aegon lives on, though even that is up for debate, the fact that he's the real Aegon anyway. If Jon and Mira are Rhaegar's children as well, those could be the three riders. Danny is the mother of dragons, but not necessarily a rider, and I think not having her be a rider would neatly subvert our expectations. To this point, she's the only one whom we are certain will be a rider, so it seems right up GRRM's alley to have her be denied. The only thing is... I feel like it's established that she is going to be the writer of Drogon. She's already ridden him at, you know, uh, even untrained. I feel like that scene in the pit with her and the whip, and then later on the the uh, her own Dragonstone in the Drothraki Sea. Talked a little bit about this in some tinfoil spoiler sections previously in this season, but I feel like it's that's kind of established that she's Drogon's writer. Uh, 
John plus Mira, though, would neatly fill that out. Anyway, some other Reed-related theories I liked. Uh, Reed continues, Jojen is actually Howlin' Reed. There's some evidence, whoa. There's some evidence to support this, the way that Mira is constantly deferring to him, the way he acts like a somber old man, even his nickname is Little Grandfather, etc. Since we only see Jojen through Bran's eyes, it's entirely possible that he is misinterpreting his appearance as younger because of his small size. He thought Jamie and Cersei were basically naked wrestling, so it's a bit of a naive, he's a bit of a naive narrator. It's also possible that Howland is descendant from the children, that he is more childlike in appearance. I don't like this theory so much because we saw in the show Jojen got pasted by the fire, uh, fireball, and in the book he possibly got pasted as well. I think that Howland would not go out like that, especially without revealing what he knows about Leon and the Tower of Joy. And I like the idea that he's the High Septon better. I agree. Uh, I can't see him literally being Jojen at all because, yes, we see it through Bran's eyes, but a lot of people see Jojen. Uh, if I'm, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Roderick Castle would surely know one of Ned's banner, bannermen. Uh, the Meister would certainly know. I mean, think of all the people that met the Reeds that were, you know, part of the core Winterfell group, and they would never have seen Howland Reed or be able to recognize him. And is Bran a big enough idiot? To, I get that maybe he's got childhood forest blood, but he looks like a kid? Uh, I don't know. And certainly it seems like the casting from the series played Jojen like he's a straight-up bro uh, brother of Mira. The next point, though, I like a little bit better. Howland Reed is warging into Jojen and controlling him from time to time or all the time. The same evidence as above also supports this, the way that Mira treats Jojen and Jojen's old manitude, but it is because Howland is just at the wheel. This does not preclude that Howland is the high Septon stuff either. He can be doing both at once. Plus, it's chilling to think that he would use his son, assuming Jojen is actually his son, as a meat suit to guide Bran and then basically dispose of him once the mission is done. In fact, to me, it would suggest that Howland has ulterior motives. Maybe he, he may be taking the opportunity to screw with Cersei and King's Landing, but being a northerner, maybe he believes that that's what's going on at the north is more important. Actually helping to get Jon Snow on the Iron Throne would serve northern interest. Now you have a king who is intimately aware of the threat the north faces and has a personal stake in protecting the realm from that threat. I like that better, but Howland using his son Jojen is a little bit too far. For someone that's like Ned's ride-or-die boy, that seems a little too cold and calculating for my tastes. Reed continues, saying all that, though, how would Stannis feel if Jon Snow became Jon Snark and went off to sit on the Iron Throne? Stannis is not up at the wall out of the goodness of his heart. He's there to protect the realm, sure, but he wants to rule like a king is supposed to. Of course, Stannis may be dead or killed soon, so that might be moot. If he lives, though, it'd be interesting to see what he would do if Jon took the throne from him. And if the whole Jon as Azor high thing is true and Melisandre leaves Stannis to support Jon, that would really leave him in the lurch. I think you're right. I think that Stannis will not survive the next book. And that will... But I also don't think that Jon... You know, I've come around this theory that Jon and Danny are not going to sit the Iron Throne. And, in fact, the Iron Throne might not survive the upcoming Long Night 2.0. I think it's... Entirely likely that the Seven Kingdoms will be back to the Seven Kingdoms, and we'll see, like, Rickon ruling the North, and, you know, maybe, like I said, Tommen is ruling the South, and uh, maybe Marcella is, is ruling in Dorne as a foreign princess slash queen. That would be kind of cool. But I, I, I feel like the Iron Throne, 
And the fact that this is called Game of Thrones seems to imply that that's going to be a defunct office at the end of this series, that we're not going to get a big happy throne room celebration with John and Danny being crowned king and queen or whatever. It's it's not going to be an all-out sad and horrifying ending because I feel like despite his protestations that George R. Fuck that. George Martin. I'm not doing this George R.R. anymore. George Martin is more of a romantic than he lets on. And we'll get, I think he's described it as a bittersweet ending. We'll get the bittersweet ending where most of the people we care about are dead. But we have enough of the next generation looking like they're not going to fuck things up to kind of pin our hopes on. That's it. That's the final podcast for many, many moons. I'm sad to see it go, but I'm excited for season five. I hope you all come back and uh, check on us on the outs. Uh, off season i'm going to try really hard to get all of the old night's watch uh edited to remove the bald move references per mad brew's request and get those uploaded on some neutral site best place to follow us to find that is on twitter at bald move and on facebook.com slash bald move because you follow that you'll get all of our latest podcast releases including when i clean that stuff up if i get a chance to do it it's a lot of hard work but it's my intention to use some of the off season on that and uh, please join us next spring. We'll have the preview cast like always, and then right on to the next season. And maybe something a little special if the Winds of Winter comes out. I might do something a little special if it comes out in the meantime. Uh, might do something special if the uh, the World of Ice and uh, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire comes out and it's really good. Might have a special podcast on that. Keep your ears to the ground. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year.